Welcome back to Horror Curious. This is the podcast where Bill and I decide to dig a sloppy mud pool in his backyard <laughs> only to realize you moved the cemetery, but you left the bodies. You moved, you moved it, you son of a bitch. You moved the bodies and you only moved the headstones. All right. I'm going to say <laughs> sloppy mud hole was my nickname in college. <laughs> You had me at Sloppy Mudhole. You had me at Sloppy Mudhole. <laughs> okay. That intro can mean only one thing. <laughs> we're, we're watching we're Poltergeist. We're watching Poltergeist? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's I mean, the it, only thing that can really mean. <laughs> there's really, I did quote the movie. There's really no room for Although for I want to hear more here. about Sloppy Mudhole. <laughs> well, well, we'll talk off the air about that. That's right. We're watching what we've watched. We're talking about Poltergeist. 81, Toby Hooper. Uh, I mean, before we start jumping in, do you want to call out, this was a listener recommendation, my friend Don. Uh, thank you very much for reaching out. Thanks, Don. Uh, was unaware Don was a listener. So I don't know who Don is. Don is a friend of mine from okay. high school. Uh, Hi, Don. Amazing. Thanks for listening. Amazing Thanks lady. Thanks for suggesting that. I had just I had reached out to my friend Don said uh, happy birthday she said something about the podcast I was like shit I don't know where you were listening what do you want us to cover she threw out Poltergeist so here we are talking about Poltergeist I love it love it thank you yeah um, what I'm interested in you had not seen Poltergeist at this point nope never what did you know about Poltergeist going into well it? I um, I think I may have mentioned this last time but this. This is one of those movies that I have a memory of my parents watching okay. where I came downstairs and they were like, nope, not watching this. Go back upstairs. Uh-huh. And I, I think I've said that a few times. You've now. said that about The Fly. I said it about The Fly. Yep. I thought I may have said it about The Exorcist. I That sounds right. Yeah. And I feel like I'm mixing these. I'm, I'm either conflating these three movies together and memories into one or it actually happened multiple times where they were watching these films and this is this is another one but i i have a distinct memory i don't know if it's real or not i will never know but i have a distinct memory of coming downstairs and seeing something about a pool in the backyard and bodies okay and scariness Uh uh-huh and then not watching the rest of the movie. Okay. So you had an image of bodies in a muddy swimming pool. Yeah. Okay. Which happens in this movie. There you go. Like though, when that happened, I, that, I was like, yep, that's... That's what I saw. That's what, rem- what I remember. Okay. I need to talk to my parents and find I out. I wish if, you would. Yeah. I have not done that yet. I wish you would. I want to know if they have watched The Fly... I'll try to do this 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 weekend. So then the next time we we when we return, I'll have an answer. I want to know why they would have watched The Fly if they watched The Fly. <laughs> All right, I need to write this down. <laughs> why did you watch The Fly? One, did we watch The Fly? Two, why? Three, what were you eating while you were watching The Fly? Was it a salad of some sort? A caprese, perhaps? Are you getting all that done? Three. 
What were you eating? That's a weird Thank question, you. but I'll ask. I they're not gonna they're not gonna know the answer to that. You'd be surprised. What were you eating? Okay. All right. There I am. I'll try to get those answers for us next time. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. We are nothing if not uh, real investigators on this program. <laughs> That's right. We do our research like you wouldn't believe. Were you excited about seeing Poltergeist? I mean, this is a big name. Yeah, super. Actually, really super excited um, because this. Yeah, this is one of the big ones. This yeah. is the big boys. This is one of the heavyweights yeah. in the genre, right? Yes and no. How I dare, mean, how dare you? As a as a horror film, well, I'm like I was going to kind of maybe talk about this in. Yeah, should we talk about history? I I feel like it's as good a segue as any. Why wouldn't we? Here we are. I do have. Your history mug in hand. I have my history pants on. Oh, did I need the mug? Brought, no, the, if you brought the pants, you're good. I'm yeah. Okay, uh, cool. They told me that was all I needed. Unzipped though. That's <laughs> yeah. Of oh, course. I hate there's not there's not even a zipper on that. No, I, Open fly. That's right. I you designed that. these, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. 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 You're welcome. Just feels free, right? Yeah. Yeah. And among other things, that's not that's not all I'm feeling. <laughs> that's no. You're feeling <laughs> your true self for the first time, really. That's right. Yeah, this is my true mean. This is the meaning of, meaning of life. That's what you wanted the entire time. <laughs> I didn't, you didn't know, even know I needed it. Didn't even know. <laughs> Did not even know. All right, let's hit the music. Eighty-one at this point. We cannot separate Steven Spielberg from this movie. First and foremost, you you try, you try, you, you can't, you just can't, you can't do it. It's like it's I, it, 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 it's like trying to take, take take flour out of a pizza dough you can't do it it's like it's a key ingredient trying yeah trying to clean a microplane after you've grated ginger why would you even you gotta soak that shit i don't know i don't know either um in fact so much is difficult to separate steven spielberg from this there has been like some controversy of whether or not steven spielberg actually did more of the directing on this than toby hooper did interesting it does feel very Spielbergian. It feels crazy Spielbergian. Um, so yeah, Toby Hooper, uh, for listeners that have been around with us, uh, did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, did Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two. He's done other films as well, but those are the ones that we've covered. But I mean, from what we know of Toby Hooper, it's like extreme horrific shit. Spielberg, not so much. Very kind of more family oriented, yeah, right? Right. And this, I, I, I'm kind of jumping all over the place here a little bit, but I feel like what one of the things that really works about this movie is how focused on the characters it is, and that definitely feels more Spielberg than it does Toby Hooper. Um, though, like watching it this time, I was really trying to focus on. Is there anything in here that particularly feels more Toby Hooper than Spielberg? There are a couple like choices, like camera movement wise, where I was like, that feels like more Texas Chainsaw Massacre than it does say ET to me. But I don't think it's possible to separate Spielberg from this. I don't. I don't know why you would try. So he produced it. Some say he had a hand in directing it though others have come out and said absolutely not. Toby Hooper was a director. I'm not going to get into this argument. I don't know. wasn't there. Do not have the answer. I don't know. What I can say as a movie viewer is this feels like something that came out of Steven Spielberg's mind, which he is credited as story by and screenplay. 
And from all all the research I was able to kind of look into, he was there on set for quite a bit of this. All I'll say is if I designed and wrote something and then gave it to someone else to execute, but then I was there, I, it, I would be hard-pressed not to at least give notes on the, on the reg. Particularly if you've got the kind of power Spielberg does. Yeah. Yeah. Coming out in 81... I did not see this in the theater, though I was absolutely aware it was a movie. Um, right around the same time, I think the he went Spielberg went directly from Poltergeist to E.T. So E.T. is really kind of tied into this same kind of time frame, where people have made like the connection of like E.T.'s like this really kind of fantastical, beautiful kind of look at suburban life where Poltergeist is like the mirror image of that same kind of idea. I don't know if I buy that. I no. mean, Poltergeist is is still a remarkably shiny version of suburbia. It just they just unfortunately have their house taken over by a poltergeist. Okay. Let's put a pin in that. Let's talk okay. about that. Uh, my own personal history, as I said, did not see it in the theater, but as soon as it was available to me for home viewing, all about it. And this is one of the movies, even as as a younger child, like went back to rewatch, like the same I would have. Like, I don't know if you you probably don't remember this, but like when like video cassettes first came out, like E.T. Raiders of the Lost Ark, they were not like immediately on VHS. Uh, they didn't come out to like home owned video for quite some time. It was like a big production before they did. Uh, Poltergeist did not fit into that, so that was something that we had available to us uh, at a pretty early time. I remember having a copy of this on a cassette with Tron. Nice. Tron Poltergeist. Uh, I, as a kid, watched Poltergeist over and over That's and over. That's a weird double again. feature. It is a weird double feature. They have nothing to do with each other whatsoever. And how many times did you watch Tron versus Poltergeist? I watched Poltergeist more, but I would I would venture to guess if I put in the cassette Tron to watch Tron, I would let it run and then watch Poltergeist after it. As a little double feature. A weird double feature. Yeah, very it. weird. Do you have this this VHS? I don't anymore. God, that's I would love to have that. Well, I mean I have both of these on DVD if you really want to watch. But the VHS is just an experience unparalleled. Uh, is it though? I mean, it's it's a shitty visual. <laughs> it, it doesn't pull over well. I still have a VCR and a bunch of VHS tapes. Uh huh. When's the last time you watched a VHS tape? Ten years. Yeah. Yeah. It's not worth it. It's fun. I'm gonna though. tell you that right now. It's not worth it. It's not. No. It doesn't hold up. Uh oh. It does not. I think it stopped holding up when I, because I used to have this like 1986 Quasar TV uh-huh. with the knob that you pulled to turn it on. Sure. And the big tactile knob that you would turn to change the channels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coaxial on the back. Yeah. That's where the VCR. If you're lucky. Yeah, it was plugged into. Uh-huh. Um, VC, VHS looked great on that Quasar. <laughs> I bet it did. They look like dog shit. On a new 4K digital TV. Right. They probably didn't look great on the Quasar. You just didn't know the difference. No, but they they fit the form factor. Like, it was like okay. the the medium and the vehicle, like, 
were came together in this beautiful marriage of uh-huh. blurry, wavy <laughs> sure. resolution. Uh-huh. Where when you when you watch a VHS on a new TV, it's it really accentuates. Why would the you? Defects. <laughs> Why would you? Just give it a shot. No. See what happens. It's a terrible medium. Yeah. Well, it's like people no. talking about <laughs> the me. You're you're the medium. It's not a terrible medium. Yes, the medium it is. just doesn't fit the. The, the surfacing device, the end, the digital endpoint. Nikki, it wasn't a great medium at in the day. It was the best we had. It was the best we had. Yes. And it was good. It was doing the best it could do. Because that's the only thing we had. It wasn't great. It's like people today who want to tell me, it's like, yeah, we should go back to cassettes because the fidelity on cassettes was bold. Cassettes were terrible too. It's all we had. All I'm saying is you're not wrong. But, but I'm wrong. You might be. <laughs> what this conversation presupposes is maybe they're not. Agree, anyway. Agree to disagree. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Hipster. Maybe it's a nostalgia thing. It's absolutely a nostalgia thing. Anyway, I had seen Poltergeist a lot as a kid. And it's one that I would revisit as I grew older as well when I was in college when i was living with roommates in san francisco even now even before watching it for the podcast i've seen poltergeist probably yearly uh it's one i go back to a lot nikki we already kind of talked about it but you have no history with this yeah other than i think i came downstairs (laughs) in the pool scene correction walked downstairs as a little kid thank you uh (laughs) Was told to not watch the rest so of the movie. So sticky. But excited about this. Okay. I'm in. Let's, All right. Let's get into Spielberg's, I mean, Toby Hooper's wow, come Poltergeist. Come on. Getting controversial here. Do you have Do you have a, a, a summary you want to go through? A family's home is haunted by a host of demonic ghosts. Huh. Period. That's the whole synopsis. That's, the That's it. Demonic ghosts, huh? Yeah, I mean that's uh that's a, there's a judgment passed in I would this say that. Yeah, synopsis. Yeah. I don't know if they if they established the uh religion of the ghosts. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> there, Did they that happen? Did I miss that? Part? Lawful good or lawful evil? Yeah, nobody ever really decided that. Yeah. I mean uh, evil for sure, but which Are they though? Which, I mean that's Which that's president did they it. vote for? We don't know. <laughs> wow, too soon. All right, should we dive into this? That's all I've got. Okay. Yeah. Of all course right. let's dive into it. Let's dive into it. Why man. else are we here? We're here to talk about this goddamn movie. So opens with the Star Spangled Banner. Credits, Star Spangled Banner playing over the end of it, or over the top of it. It once we start to get visuals, we get these kind of fuzzy visuals of a TV. Um you might be too young to remember this. Did you know that TV stations used to go off the air? Yes. Okay. Um, I just kind of missed this in my real life, but I didn't. I was aware that this was a thing. Did now? Did they play the national anthem? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you would see images very similar to this, like like we're seeing like the the statue of the. Uh, the armed forces at Iwo Jima, like pictures of like the the Lincoln Memorial, like very kind That's of crazy that that was like American an, propaganda kind of stuff. In the eighties, yeah, it seems very propaganda-y. Uh, for sure, 
for sure. Like if that were to happen today, there would be riots in the streets. I don't. About <laughs> how are you trying to brainwash us? Settle down. I don't know that that's true. I think people would be more upset that their TV stations were going that's, off the air. That is a fact. Yeah. I need. I you didn't let me order my thing on my you know my. That's right. Warming self warming slippers on QVC. That's right. Yeah, this was a time when stations would go off the air and then nothing was on. It was static. It's a wild west of programming. That's right, man. People were just shooting guns in the air. <laughs> Yeehaw! <laughs> Um, I think this is very telling that this one starts out with a national anthem because I think, and we, we can argue about this, but I think that this is a very American story. Um, and I find it interesting that it also starts with images from a TV. What other story would it be? Well, I think this very specifically speaks to the American dream. Of kind of middle class home ownership, suburban life, like this movie is so steeped in that idea that of the American dream being a nightmare. I mean, as like kind of cliched as that sounds, it's like yeah. turning that. What was the American? It's still for many people the American dream of owning your own home. Yeah, this is. I mean, this is what has me in this state I'm in now of not owning a home. Yeah. I'm in I'm in this conundrum of wanting this thing that I think that I want but I don't know that I want. Well, because you've been told from a very early age that's what that's what you should strive for. Yeah. It's so yeah, this family has that and then that gets turned upside down. So I mean I think I think the kind of underpinnings of this movie like are really very much about turning that idea of what is the American dream upside down. So I think hence the, not only does it work because that's what they would do when stations went off the air is play the national anthem, but it's very, it's a great pronouncement at the very top of this film. We're hearing the national anthem before we see anything. So we get past that. We get, uh, the TV, we realize as the camera's moving back, we're watching these fuzzy images on a TV. And TVs are very much going to come into play here with the rest of the movie. And not just their, I mean, to, to comment on the TV, it's a con, it's one of those console TVs that sit on the floor. That's right. That we totally had growing up. I don't know if you did. Ours was way more ornate than this. Like the the this the console TV that I that I grew up with. It was, I mean, it was a piece of of it was a substantial piece of furniture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, mi- I, I, I wish I we were able to keep that and then like somehow repurpose it into a, some a new what? function. I don't know. Take the take the TV out and use it as something else. I don't know. Use it as like a fish tank. No, I, yeah, that's a that's the like cliched thing, I guess. But the the speakers in this TV were really good. Yeah, um, they had a lot of like real richness and depth. Um, I remember. Like one of the one of the things I noticed in like their decor is in scenes later when they kind of look at this living room, they've got these huge speakers up on shelves. Yes, I noted about those speakers. I think these guys are more sound files than they are TV folks. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they listen to more records than they do watch TV. 
Yeah, I noted those speakers. You just now got me back on this thinking about that TV console we had. I wish we, I mean, I was probably. I don't feel like I did that. I feel like you did that yourself. Probably, yeah. I was maybe 15 or something when we threw it over into the transfer station pit of despair. Yeah. Got rid of it. I wish it was heavy as shit, I bet. It was super heavy, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was uh I wish we had kept it cuz those I would have salvaged the the wood, the con- like the console itself, the speakers and then used it for something. But like as a 15-year-old kid, you can't expect your parents to like, "Well, okay, we'll put this in the garage for you and keep it for 20 sure. years when you want to do something with it." You want a flat screen. Yeah, it was a good thing. Anyway, so the we're introduced to the entire family through the dog. The dog starts wandering right. through the house and kind of introduces us to all the characters. So it's trying to eat everything in the house. That's right, as dogs will do. It's ch- everybody's got something to eat. <laughs> That's right. Hey, here's some chips. Here's some whatever else. Yeah, pizza. pulls a bag of Lay's potato chips from the teenager's bed. Um, yeah, so we see Dad has fallen asleep. In front of the TV, dad being played by Craig T. Nelson, Craig Thaddeus Nelson, um, who I cannot, I cannot think of a better choice for a suburban dad in the eighties. He is as Craig T. Nelson. I mean, tipping my hand here, so good. He's in everybody this in this movie is so good, but yes, he is fantastic. Yeah, I'm not talking about anyone else right now. I'm focusing on Craig T. Nelson. Yep. So good in this movie. He's great. He's great. We're introduced to Mom, played by Joe Beth Williams. Um, We're introduced to their... So good. Also fantastic. Introduced to the teenage daughter uh, who has some potato chips in her bed. Last but not least, the dog goes to the other bedroom with the two younger children, Robbie the son, Carol Ann the daughter. The dog wakes up Carol Ann. Caroline gets up, walks down the stairs, goes to the TV, uh, and starts talking to the TV. Yeah. Craig T. Nelson has fallen asleep. Snow has come on uh-huh. after the broadcast. And it's strobing. Yeah, that doesn't happen. A little too much. It- Listen, I don't want to tilt my, my past day's hand, but I've watched my fair share of snow on a television. Yeah, you try to get that Playboy to come in. You the, the I'm just saying, even after the channel's gone off and you've got nothing but snow, I've spent time invested in watching that you, snow. <laughs> and it does just saying. Look, I'm not judging the reason. Uh huh. My reason may have been trying to get Playboy to come in. Sure, but watch just just getting high and watching the snow. Hey, that's cool too. It doesn't strobe like that. It doesn't strobe the house. No, it does not. To the extent that that happens. It does not. But it's a nice visual effect. I'll give it to him. But no, that's not nice what if happens. you want to elicit seizures in certain viewers. <laughs> yeah, like this movie, and I do. This movie really needs to have a disclaimer on the front because there are some serious strobe light action You're right. happening here. You're right. There are. Um, does everybody come downstairs when she's talking to the TV? I feel like suddenly, like the whole family's there. Like, yeah, mom hears it, comes down. I think the sister hears it. Maybe, yeah. Sister, sister. Um, but okay, cool. Carol Ann, young kid, attracted to something in the television set. Uh, we cut to our our opening credits. Already frightening, by the way. Little girl oh, yeah. going like, 
like talking to the like television, smiling, going yeah. like, "Yeah, yes, uh huh, uh-huh. no, yeah, oh, you Five. feel that way, yeah." That is frightening. Were you freaked out? I mean, not freaked out per se, but because I kind of know where the movie's going. But yeah, it's frightening. Okay. This opening credit scene like feels really super Spielbergy to me. So like we get this like kind of wide shot of suburbia, uh, like Southern California kind of suburbia, but this guy riding a bike down the street with like the sweaty guy in the BMX with the beer cans with the beer cans, the case of beer and then kids chasing with remote control cars. <laughs> like it feels so Spielberg to me, <laughs> which is like, why does that, why is that a spill? Why is a guy on a bike with remote control cars, a Spielberg thing? I don't know, but yeah, you're right. This movie, a tip in the hand here. This movie is steeped in Spielberg. Spielbergian yes. tendencies, like yes. it is so Spielberg, yeah, at times, yeah, that it's hard to define. I don't know what that what like, what is Spielberg. Who is Spielberg? Who is well? He's a director. Uh, Steven is his first name. I think what really what really does it for me is there is, and I think I was literally just talking about this. There's so much focus on the characters and the like these little like character traits and like this. This bit of humor, this like very kind of human, this guy's riding his bike down the street with a bunch of beer, kids chasing. Like that feels, it feels more like Spielberg to take the time to show that to you so that you can relate to the characters, right? Like, yeah, because it doesn't do anything for the plot. Nope. It's, it's completely meaningless. Yes. But it spends a lot of time setting up the fact that the kids are terrorizing this guy that's bringing beer to a football viewing party. Right. None of this means anything. At all. Uh, yeah, it just sets up this joke that this guy runs into the house with a case of beer that's spraying beer all over everything. I will say that this these kids, this is not the smartest thing. Like he could have he could have driven over those cars and crushed them. That's I'm right. actually I was waiting for them to get crushed and they didn't. I was surprised they made it out unscathed. I think what really they actually cross in front of his that's tires. That's right. Yes. It's some smooth driving. What makes it feel so Spielbergy to me is like the shot of the kids sitting there laughing after the aftermath of after this guy's crashed his, his bike and spilled all his beer on the road is like the insert shot of the kids like laughing about it is like that's that to me feels like such a Spielberg moment. There's going to be a ton of them huh. through the rest of this movie. Also, where... Where did he ride from? Because I grew up in suburbia, and there was not a store to ride a bike from. In I mean, it would have been a long ride. I'm assuming he brought him from his house. Oh, he didn't go pick him up at the store. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm with you. There's no grocery store in sight over here. Guy brings spouting beer into the house. Right. Uh, there's nope. nobody cares. Nobody cares. That well, is they're beers. watching the football game, man. But his beer is spraying Everywhere. all over the place. That's going to get sticky. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. We're I spilled beer on my leg. I'm already sticky. You're upset about it. 
I'm not upset. I'm sticking it a little bit. You're a little sticky. I'm aware of that's it. not the beer though. No one's be aware that he's spraying beer. They're just watching the game. Well, somebody actually like they kind of like look at him for half a second, but then they're right back into the game. What really gets them though is the remote control wars. So mm. the game quickly switches over to Mister Rogers. Turns out, uh, Craig T. Nelson's neighbor has the same remote control system for his TV. They're too close to each other, so they can control each other's TVs with the remote. I feel like this is bullshit. I don't think this is a real thing. I think this was a real thing. Do you think so? But I also think there's a real solution for this, <laughs> which is, cool, neighbor, you want to use your remote? I'm just going to go turn the TV on the TV. There you go, which is right to there. the channel. You've walked further to go have this you discussion. You turn, turn yours to Mr. Rogers for your kid, then... After you do that, I will turn mine to the game, and uh-huh. then we're good. We're done. There's the solution. Yeah. But no, they just fight about it. That's right. It's a little little comedy relief at the beginning. Very little comedy relief. Uh, we see mom's upstairs cleaning up the uh, kid's bedroom. Kid's bedroom littered with... Star Wars toys. Yeah, this is a great 80s Star Wars. So many action figures, yeah. so many posters, so many toys I wanted when I was a kid. Though I do have to question, they've got an alien poster? Did they? Yeah. These kids are like five and eight. Huh. Yeah, you'd think that they wouldn't have watched that. That would have been too much, I feel like, but... That's not the point of the scene. The point of the scene is their pet bird has died. Tweety. Tweety. Uh, Mom, Joe Beth Williams, great in this movie. Fantastic. It says something about, damn it, Tweety, you could have waited for a school day. Takes the, she's going to flush this bird down the toilet. What? So what do you, this is the question. <laughs> yeah. what, what? What do you do when your pet dies? Like, I'm, this is a real question. Okay. My cat's getting up there in age. Yeah. Steve, I love you, old man. What, when when he goes, what, yeah. literally, what do I do? Does he go in, is he compostable? Do I put him in the yard waste? It, do I wrap him? That seems a little cold. Do I wrap him up in a plat bag and throw him in the trash? Like, do well, I bury him in the backyard? Like, I, I, I literally, like, what do I yeah, do yeah, with yeah, yeah. a dead animal? No, I it, have no idea. It see, it, I think it depends on how how that end goes down. So we had a cat that we took into the vet. Well, we found a cat and a dog that we had to take into a vet and ended up having to be put down. So they essentially take care of that for you. Sure. Uh, one of our cats died here in the house. Still haunting the house, by the way. Really? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> um, they might be, but I just haven't noticed. It's a poltergeist. Uh, she was a great cat, so you don't go in that room anymore. I <laughs> would assume if she's that room under the stairs is it, untouchable. Don't do it. It's <laughs> so cold in there. So cold. Uh, but yeah, she's buried out here in the backyard. Oh, you buried her? We did. Okay. Well, I'm in a rental. Do I bury the cat in a rental? I don't know. I mean, how much is it going to mean to you to have? I mean, it's more his house than mine, to be honest with you. If I if I ever move, if he would have to stay at the house. It's his. He would not handle the move very well. Listen, I don't want to be cold about this. Here's my suggestion to you: you get a real good fire going in your hibachi. Just get him down to ashes. <laughs> spread his ashes over the neighborhood. That was an oh, outside cat, nice. man. He would appreciate that. Yeah, he was an outside cat. Yeah. Uh, so not compostable. You're saying I'm going to say don't throw the cat's body in the yard waste. 
Um, is that cold? It feels cold to me. <laughs> yeah, you're feeling the cold. I'm feeling the cold. It's like my my own cat is like coming into Arctic this podcast. Say, don't do that. It's an Arctic wind. Yeah, over there in Europe. I'm feeling like I'm on the set of the thing right now. All right, it was a real question. Oh, it's, look, and I'll, that's fair. All right, it's I'll fair. bury him. I'll bury yeah. him. It was I'll bury him under his favorite tree in the though, backyard. Here's the thing, though. If if you had a parakeet and your parakeet died and you're asking me the same question, be like, yeah, fucking throw it in the trash. Which isn't fair. Maybe that parakeet brought you just as much joy as Steve did. So I should probably just throw him away. At the end of the day, yes. Just throw Steve in the yard waste. Listeners, write in uh, horrorcurious at gmail.com. What do you do with a dead pet? Also, what do you do with a drunken sailor? Here's what you don't do. You don't flush a fucking parakeet down the toilet. That's not what you do. I feel like it would go down the toilet. Do you think so? It's a big bird. Have you seen the logs I've dropped recently? (laughs) Recently? (laughs) I I have not. (laughs) Yeah. I could rival this parakeet. And you're really looking. (laughs) You don't look? I feel... No, absolutely I do. I'm just saying there's... It's probably a little easier to get down the pipe than a whole dead canary, I would assume. I mean, I don't know what you're eating lately, but... I don't know that flushing a canary is a way to go. What I did notice, this bathroom, all canary yellow. Hmm. The 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 fur toilet seat cover, the towels in there, all all the kind of accessories. Same color as the Tweety Bird. Whatever. She doesn't flush the bird down the toilet because Carolyn comes in and sees that this is going down. And her pet's dead. So they have a whole burial for the bird. Which, honestly, when I was younger, I thought this might be the sparking point of this whole haunting thing, is the fact that the bird died. But I think it's just introducing us to the idea that, hey, death is a thing. This is introducing Carol Ann to death. Uh, I love that the whole burial scene in the backyard, and maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves, is the dog is like licking his lips. That's right, just waiting for the dog. He's just licking his chops, going like, oh yeah, this I know where this thing's buried. Yeah. And then the second they turn away, he's like, I'm in. I'm in. I want this thing. That's right. It's fantastic. Um later that night, uh, there's a storm coming. It's thunder, it's lightning. Storm's coming, Annie. Storm's coming, Annie. I can feel it in my bones. Um, there's a scene of mom and dad, Joe Beth Williams, Craig T. Nelson, Craig Tyrannosaurus Nelson, <laughs> in the in their bedroom. Um, there is his. If his middle name was Tyrannosaurus, <laughs> <laughs> I would. I think I'm. I, that's it. Like I could die. Like that was that. That would be the. That's cr- all you needed to know in, in life. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I don't even know meaning. That is the meaning of life. That is for the me. meaning of life. Craig <laughs> Tyrannosaurus <laughs> Nelson. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Done. I'm out. That's it. Thanks, guys. That's all I needed. That's. I didn't know I needed it, but that's what I needed. That <laughs> <laughs> would be pretty awesome. Um, I like this little scene. Of them together because I mean one they're smoking pot which is fun to watch, um, 
so I mean, we've got this like kind of 60s counterculture thing going on here. But at the same time, as the camera's kind of moving around the bed, they're talking about how Carol Ann had sleepwalked the night before down to the TV, the whole kind of intro scene that we'd seen. And, oh, shit, what if she sleepwalks while they're digging this pool in the backyard? That could be a problem. But while the camera's kind of moving around the bed, they show Stephen, like, kind of spread out on the bed reading a book about Reagan. (laughs) Um, Which, again, is very kind of, like, 80s suburban. Like, this... I think this is telling a story about these characters without really having to dive in and do the dirty work. So, I mean, like, we get the idea that based solely on the ages of these characters, right, that they're smoking pot, they were probably children of the 60s, they've got a teenage daughter, and then they've got two much younger children. So they probably hooked up way early, had a kid, had to get married. So then now, like, Steven's got to go find a job, and his job is selling the American dream to other suckers and selling this, these houses that look exactly yep. the same. Yep. And now, he, like, he's reading up on Reaganomics and reading up on the kind of Republican idea of what suburban life should be. But they're still tied to that past of 60s smoking pot the idea of these parents like smoking pot in their bedroom like door wide open while they're doing it to the point where the kid could just wander in because at one point the son robbie wanders in because he's freaked out by the storm Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um there's a lot i feel like a lot of character building here but i love i love this idea I love this scene of the two of them just like getting high and having this conversation. I love the whole scene. Yeah. I love the sheer amount of pot that Craig Tyrannosaurus Nelson has right. sprayed all over the bedspread. Do you notice that? Uh-huh. Under his book, there there's just tons of pot. I mean, and which really actually looks just like they shook oregano over the sheets. Sure. But tons of pot that he's well, just then he spilled. hands it back to diane yeah, to he's roll struggling it. to roll a joint hands hands it to diane to finish yeah but i also love his um there's this nice uh subtle just acting between them this interplay of he 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 plays this like nice cocky character it, he, there's a bit of harrison ford in him okay here. there's yeah, like yeah, a little yeah. bit I of han solo in yeah. him in this scene where he stands up on the bed and he's like, he's like making believe that he's like an Olympic diver. That's and he's right. Like, yeah, I'm, this is Olympic. <laughs> Your diving quali- days are over. <laughs> right. Yeah. I love I love that interaction between them. Yeah. And it's this really true, um, real, real it's like sensitive. Um, it's like an intimate moment. It between, feels be- real between them. It feels very real. Yes. But I also just give a huge credit to Craig T. Nelson that. I didn't know he had. I didn't know he was this person. Yeah, I only know him from like the coach sure. days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this is a real viral man. That, it's a, yeah, it's like a real person he's playing. Yeah, this yeah. is a young. I I love. I like this guy. I would have. I would have fallen in love with this man. Sure. Maybe even married him. Sure. Yeah, I and I think, and again, that's where it gets a little fuzzy on. Toby Hooper v. Steven Spielberg is there's focus on 
the characters of this movie and they're real characters. Yeah, it's like intimacy that they're they're showing you. Yes. That I was unprepared for when I started the movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh it feels real and it feels they feel like people I I would love to know. Uh I mean high as kites for sure, but still they just seem like real people that yeah. like love each other and have known each other for years. Yes. Yeah. The his his whole Olympic diving thing yes. scene here reminds me of a friend of mine that I used to know that li- moved away that like he's embodying like the essence of this person and his his now wife and mother to their child. Like it is yeah, it's very real and it resonated with me. Yeah. So, like, then kind of building on that scene, the Robbie comes in. He's freaked out by the storm. So, Craig, Tyrannosaurus, Nelson goes <laughs> off to the bedroom uh, to kind of soothe Robbie, their son. Like, Robbie seems a little... He, he He's very nervy. He's got a lot... He's got a kind of very kind of scared energy about him. Um, but he's afraid of the storm. So I don't know if this is true, but I've taken this idea from Poltergeist where if there's a thunder lightning storm, if the lightning flashes, if you count yeah, I, to the thunder, is this something that you knew about? Yeah. I, is this, I mean, I don't – the fact that you said you don't know if it's true makes me question it's only something that I've heard my whole life growing up. Okay. But, I totally pulled this from Poltergeist. To this point, I believe that's true. You count the number of seconds from the flash to the sound, and if it is getting shorter, it's coming towards you. If it's getting longer, it's going it's away going from away you. It's going away from you, yeah. I've always thought that to be true. Yeah. And if it's if it's one on top of each other, like the storm is right above it's you. It's right on top of you. It makes total sense, but I'd never heard this before this movie. And I've I've brought. I wonder this, if that's where the, like the mainstream belief of this comes from. I don't know. I mean, it could very well be true. I didn't do any kind of research to see if that's actually. Or the maybe fact or people not. are just know about science except us. <laughs> that's possible. It's just a regular science fact. Maybe maybe people took weatherology in college. Right. Look, I'm no weatherologist, but I will say. Nah, that's all I have to say. So he calms Robbie down by telling him to count out the spaces between the lightning and the thunder. Robbie's also freaked out by the tree that's outside the window. And that's a freaky tree. It I is mean, a freaky tree. It's what, also, what kind of trees are those? I don't, that, what kind of wood is that? They're all over the neighborhood. In the, in the opening shot of the neighborhood, you see these trees, and they're bare. There's no leaves. That's right. Is this winter? Maybe. So these are... I was going to try deciduous. To, is that what I was going to say? Deciduous, but I don't know what that means. Yeah, yeah. Is that true? The, those trees that drop their leaves. That's right. So this is winter in California. Quite possibly. Um, well, none of the trees have leaves. Are they all? Is it an olive tree? I don't know. It's is a it, weird twisted oak? looking tree. Oh, it's an oak. I, no, I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Regardless, it's a freaky looking tree, and it's based off of a. A lot of the kind of story elements are based off of, uh, I was going to say Stephen King's, but Steven Spielberg's childhood fears. And he also had a fear of a tree outside of his house. Also, just close the blinds. Sure. You can't see Quit it. looking at the goddamn tree. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Blinds closed would be the fail safe. But yeah, it reminded me of growing up, this house we lived in 
my room was on the back of the house. Everybody else's room was on the front. And mine was facing the back. And okay. the back looked on, the front looked on to the, the cul-de-sac. The back looked on to like woods, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I, I felt very, even though I was like, you know, a few feet away from my brother's room, it felt like I was on a whole other planet exposed to like unknown woods yeah. at night. Yeah. And I had this big window in the back of my room and I was scared to death of that window. Uh, and watching the movie Fire in the Sky did not help one bit. <laughs> sure, I can understand that. Um, I constantly thought that like aliens were going to abduct me through that window. And Simply I, because you were uh, 30 feet away from a street? Well, I didn't eat... The, because we were on opposite sides of the house, I was looking away from the street. They were yeah. looking at the street. Right, right, right. I was looking into woods. Yes. But you're still the same house. Like, I totally Look, get what you're saying. I'm, I'm five years old. I don't yeah, register yeah, yeah. this. I am just freaked out every single night going to sleep that I'm going to be abducted. You couldn't switch rooms with your brother? No. Huh. He also his room was also like twice as big as me. Uh, a yeah, huge yeah. room. I had a tiny room. Sleep in the bathroom at all or just curl up on the bathtub? No, 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 no just room, but yeah, okay. freaky freaky room. Yeah. No, I get that. Anyway, long way of saying I I uh empathize with this kid. You understand the but close the, the, the tree fear. Just close the blinds. Yeah, don't look at it. Uh, there's also a nice little little bit here because Robbie, Caroline, they're sharing a room. Um, I like that while Craig T. Nelson is soothing Robbie, like calming him down, giving him some facts to deal with and counting out the storm. Uh, Caroline's like playing with a toy phone and like it rings and she's like, Daddy, it's for you. It's like, you tell him to take a message, sweetie. Uh, it's just like this very cute, real human interactions between the parents and the kids yeah. that you don't expect from from a horror movie. Like you don't expect this kind of personal touch to it. I don't think. Yeah. Now, was that the poltergeist calling on her phone, or was that just? That's her, a great question. Or was that just her playing? Like I don't know if you're being funny, but no, like, I'm serious because I I was expecting it to be like a horror moment of the movie uh-huh. where like something was going to reach out of the phone, but it wasn't. She was like, "Okay, I'll I'll take a message," yeah. and then he that wants was to it. take that a message, the and then hangs up the phone. <laughs> yeah, it very well could have been. And I I've honestly had that question when I was a kid watching this movie. Was is that? Is that the ghost actually actually calling? I thought that it was. Possibly. I don't know. Doesn't come to play. But so the kids start like counting out the lightning versus thunder. The storm is actually getting closer. And there's a nice like kind of quick cut to mom, dad, and the two little kids in bed all together. And we get a kind of replay of the TV still on. It's end of day, national anthem, that whole kind of footage goes on, and then the the static snow comes on the screen. And Carol Ann wakes up. Like crawls over the bed. It's still very stroby in that room as well. Again, not what actually happened. It didn't get super stroby in the house when that when the TV went off the air. But <coughs> crawls across the bed, gets right up to the TV. And then, like, this kind of ghostly apparition hand, like, kind of comes out of the TV towards her. And then, like, shoots up into the wall above the bed. And the whole house starts shaking. 
it ends. Everybody wakes up. They're kind of looking at Caroline at the foot of the bed, and we get like the kind of tagline of the movie as she says, "They're here." So the ghosts are now in the house. The ghosts came from the television into the house. So next morning, everything kind of fairly normal. They're talking about what happened. They think an earthquake hit the house. All seems very strange. Uh, There's a construction crew in the backyard. They're digging out the pool. Kids are all around the breakfast table having a discussion. Again, a very kind of Spielberg-y like scene of like these kids talking like having a real like kind of kid discussion insulting each other blah 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 but then we start to see like these little pieces like sort of coming into place of like ghost mischief is this just before we get there is this does this breakfast table thing happen today in america because it doesn't happen in my house, but that's not not a that's not a crazy. Well, thing. I mean, you don't have three kids, but. right? But does does this like breakfast table preschool pre work? Hey, I'm com- getting ready to commute to work, and right. the kids are getting ready to go to school. You see this all the time in '80s movies. It's this picture picturesque view of Americana, uh-huh. where everyone is sitting down and being face to face in the morning. Yep. I love it uh, to be honest with you. Like I this this scene just warms my heart so much that there's this like breakfast table scene. Did you have this growing up? No, yeah. not at all. Yeah, I always wanted it. I saw it in movies, never had it. Well, yeah, does this I, happen? Is this a real thing? It might in some families. I mean, I know like the my family when I was growing up, both parents worked. Um, like as far back as I can remember where I had to like kind of get myself to like the bus stop. Yeah. It's like pre bus stop blues. You know, you're eating your pop tarts or your, yeah. Like the your, carnation instant breakfast, your in a glass. crunch berries or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it wasn't the entire family or like not even an entire family, but the kids like sitting around the table with like mom bringing them breakfast. But I mean, I didn't grow up in that situation. I grew up in a situation where my parents were usually gone out of the house before I was. Like I got up, made my breakfast, and walked down to the bus stop to go to school. Yeah, I I was up. I made myself pop tarts, typically the uh, maple brown sugar. Oh yeah, yeah, cinnamon brown sugar. So, was it cinnamon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they were the sure brown was. ones. They're so good. Yeah, yeah. Those are the best. I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, and then gone. Say it slow and breathy like that. Cinnamon, cinnamon brown sugar. That's right. Yeah. So good. That's right. Yeah. Um, that or cereal, whatever we had. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It might happen in some families, not mine, but it doesn't seem out of place. I lo- I just I love the '80s depiction of the breakfast table. Yeah. Love this scene. Well, and it's very much playing up that kind of suburban wholesome family, right? That's that's the image it's trying to get across before all hell breaks loose. Mm-hmm. So we've got all the kids around a table. They're having this kind of adorable conversation. Uh, one of the glasses breaks. So Robbie's holding a glass, breaks, spills milk all over the teenager's homework. She gets upset. So it's like our first, like, it's like literally crack in the facade here. Like that something's going wrong. Um, 
And then there's like almost like this kind of weird one-off scene that's almost like played for comedy is like teenager gets up, she's all upset, she's got to get cleaned up, go back to school, what have you. But then Robbie goes to like pick up his his fork to like eat his waffles and like the silverware is all bent out of shape. And he just kind of looks at it like, well, that's crazy. It's like these nice little subtle scenes of like something's wrong, something's bending their normal every day. And not really kind of playing it for like great effect. Carol Ann gets up from the table, goes to like one of the little mini TVs they've got in the kitchen. We had this same kind of situation in our kitchen when I was a kid too. We had like a little tiny, like 13 inch black and white TV in the kitchen. We had the same thing. My mom, well, was wasn't even 13. I think it, I think it was literally like five inches. Yeah. We had this little tiny like miniature TV in the kitchen that my mom would like watch soap operas on while she was would be like making yeah stuff. They Caroline gets up, turns on this little TV, and starts watching Static because that's where she's catching the TV people, and she's talking to people in the TV. There's a nice, I don't know how subtle it is, but there's a nice little moment of mom coming around the corner, is like, "Oh, that's gonna ruin your eyes." Flips a channel to like this horrifically violent war movie that <laughs> Caroline then watches. There's some scenes with the construction folks. Uh, there's a scene, I guess it's important to call out or at least interesting to call out. Uh, Mom goes upstairs to, again, where the TV people had come out the night before. And there's like this brown spot on the wall, like where they've entered the wall. Well, yeah, because there was like this lightning bolt thing that came out of the yeah. TV. And that's supposed to be, I think, like the burn mark. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, uh, but now like the dog is paying attention to it. Uh, the golden retriever who introduced us to the entire family is now up on the bed, like as if somebody's talking to the dog through this burn mark on the wall. Go downstairs. Mom goes back downstairs. Everybody's left. She goes back to the kitchen, like, and all the chairs around the the table are like spread out from the table. And she's like, "What are you, what are you guys doing?" Like, and she's like pushing the tables back, pushing the chairs back in. We see like Carol Ann's hand kind of come out from the bottom of the screen, like kind of grab her, scares her. She freaks out. Um, and this I love this scene because it's like done in one take. So she's pushed the chairs all together, kind of comes around the island in the kitchen. Camera moves with her. She's bending down to like pick up cleaning supplies, what have you. Caroline's on the counter picking up stuff. She stands up, looks over. Camera follows her look. And all the chairs are like up on the table, like in this like kind of crazy, like they're all like stacked in this kind of crazy way. She freaks, drops everything. She like kind of looks at Caroline. She's like, is this the TV people? And Caroline's like nodding. She's like, do you see them? She's like, no. Do you? She's like, no. And it the scene dissolves. So like we get another shot of the kitchen with the chairs all stacked, all kind of crazy on the table. And the scene dissolves to another house, same house, same floor plan, same everything. It's just now the, the furniture has been removed. And it's Steve selling a house to people. So this is like where we learn. So Steve's like a salesman for this housing development. 
Like he's he's the one selling the American dream which to is, to yeah. these other people. Which is my nightmare. This housing cookie cutter housing yeah. development. It's exactly the same house. Is my nightmare. And they bring it up in the conversation. Like the the folks like he's selling to, like the the guy in this this couple says, I can't tell one house from the other. And like he make he like puts on like some kind of like selling speech. Like he you can tell from this short little scene, like he's a good salesman. He's good at what he does. But it's also like letting us know it's like, yeah, they're in this place, like everything looks exactly the same. It's the suburbs. There's no differentiality. It's the same house, cookie cutter, all over the place. So it's an interesting comment on the suburbs, but also if we like take it a step back, like what's happening in their house or what's going to happen in their house can happen anywhere then, right? If it's all the same at the end of the day, then what's happening to this family could happen anywhere else. Yeah, that's true. So Stephen comes home. Craig T. Nelson uh, comes home. Diane is super excited about something. Um, like grabs grabs him to bring him inside. So what we find out is during the day, she has been kind of experimenting with this whole chair thing of what went down. Like she's got drawings on the floor. She's got shit mapped out. She, yeah, she doesn't seem scared. She's like excited. Super about excited. She's like, oh, look at this. The chair slides across the floor. Yeah. Check out this experiment I've done a hundred times today. Check this out. Yeah. Even to the point I've put our daughter in harm's way and put a helmet on her. <laughs> That's right. And shoulder pads. Yeah. She does this experiment where she shows him if she puts a chair in this one spot, the chair will move across the floor. Not slowly, it will rush across the floor. And then she brings Carol Ann, the little girl, in, sits her down in that same circle. Carol Ann rushes down the floor. Um, she's super, like, she stands up, does a cheer. She's like, woohoo. Um, and then there's a quick cut to the two of them go talk to the neighbor. So the neighbor that had the remote control. And they're asking whether he's noticed anything going on in their house because there's something strange going on in the Freeling house. And has he been experiencing anything similar? And he's he seems confused. He has no idea what they're talking about. This whole conversation, they're outside, like but, swatting at mosquitoes. What we what's going on here? Because I th- don't know. They they seem super high. Like they're they keep cutting yes. each. It takes them way too long to just ask them the question. Has anything weird happened in your house? And they start laughing, like yeah. uncontrollably. They're it's like they're uncomfortable uh-huh. and embarrassed about asking him if like supernatural things have happened. I think that's exactly it. But it's overplayed. Well, and they may maybe to just like try to deal with it. Maybe they, they went and had a quick smoke. My and, only guess, yeah, is that they got extremely high. Yeah. Cause they're acting very strange. Yes. It's a weird kind of one off scene that really has nothing to do with anything. Because all you all you need to do is go, hey, neighbor, has have you seen anything weird happen in yeah. your house? Like, did has anything moved anything that you didn't think moving, Anything moved? weird happening. Just That's it. Period. Done. Yeah. Uh, but then they have this whole mosquito thing in it, too. What is the mosquito thing? I don't know. And I don't know. Is that like something like trying to... 
trying to keep them from having this discussion with anybody else. Because then the neighbor is like, I've never had a mosquito bite me ever Yeah, in my life. How about you, son? Son, have you? No, never. I've, what are mosquitoes? We don't know what they are. They're not a thing. That's right. And to be fair, like in Southern California, I don't know that there are a lot of mosquitoes. Really? I don't recall having a mosquito issue in Southern California. Damn, there's tons up here in Washington. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's wooded. It's damp all the time. <laughs> it makes sense. Even in the summer, it's there's mosquitoes. That's right. Even more. Even more so. Still always damp. Um, yeah. I, it, it's a weird one. I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but it seems like weird. And my inclination is that somehow it's the supernatural element trying to keep them from having this conversation with the neighbors, like trying to keep them stuck it in the house so that it's, they're keeping it at home as it were. Maybe. So back at the house, another storm's coming through. Um, this time, Robbie's in the room. He's doing the whole kind of countdown thing. He's looking at the tree. And this is where shit starts to go bananas. So the he's counting down. It's a good, it's like ratcheting tension, right? Like lightning flashes, he's counting down. Lightning flashes, he's counting down. It's just kind of ratcheting it up, ratcheting it up. And then the tree, like limbs, like like it's an ant from the two towers, crashes mm-hmm. through the window, grabs Robbie, pulls him out through the window. Lightning flashes. By the way, B side to the live album, Lightning Crashes. Okay, I was like, isn't yeah. that the name of the album? <laughs> no, <laughs> Lightning Flashes. Uh, Lightning so yeah. flashes. <laughs> I don't know. That song really meant a lot to you, didn't it? <laughs> First CD I ever bought. Is it really? It's saying a lot. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Right. All right. Not first out musical purchase I bought, but. But first CD. CD. Uh huh. Lightning Crashes. Okay. Live. Okay. 1990 something early. I don't know. Fair enough. <laughs> My first CD purchase. You're you going to one up me on this? I, I don't know that it's a one up at one-up all. Me? It's uh, Boy Go Alive by Oingo Boingo was Oops. my first CD purchase. Absolutely a better purchase than live. Second only to uh, Echo and the Bunnymen's self titled album with the songs Lips Like Sugar. Yeah. I think you've got me beat on the, on the CD purchase. Sugar Kisses. I'm going to touch all over to you. Uh, tree scene. How how are you feeling? Um, uh, close the blinds first. <laughs> Quit looking at that goddamn tree. Secondly, yeah, it's an ant reaching into the room. It's great. Yeah. It's also, if you want to look at other Spielberg films, it's also kind of a very Velociraptor move for this tree to pull the kid out of the house so everybody's focused on that shit. Hmm. So that the house can grab Carol Ann. Because what ends up happening is everybody rushes outside to go deal with the fact that this mm. tree is trying to eat mm. the kid. Eat the kid. Yeah, clever girl. Meanwhile, in that room, closet door opens, bright light. Bright light. Bright light. Carol Ann's being sucked into the closet. Like 
everything's being drawn into this bright light of a closet. She's holding on mm-hmm. to the bed, being pulled into it. Where's all the glitter coming from? <laughs> they there's <laughs> strippers live underneath that bed. I don't know where. <laughs> I, I'm with you. There's I know exactly what you're talking. Buckets about. of glitter being pulled into the room. A lot of glitter. <laughs> That's right. Um. I we kind of missed it in that first storm scene, but I I want to bring it up because it's going to come back to play. We're introduced to the clown doll that they have oh, in that room. God. God damn those clowns! Why they have it, don't know, but they've got a large Just clown doll. Just because it's scary. Yeah, scary. I had for some reason there. Were, I had a clown stuffed animal when I was a kid, and my parents must have given it to me because I have it still. And I I had in it in your room on a chair. Well, I had it in my son's room and he, <laughs> why would you do that to your own kid <laughs> he made me put it away he was like, i'm sure he did <laughs> i don't want this thing in here <laughs> but this is an interesting thing he's never seen a horror movie uh-huh. he's never seen a cartoon that had a scary clown but the clown was still frightening scary to yep. him yeah is that crazy that's that's crazy it's i mean it's a common fear but he, I've, I've for sure thought that this fear of clowns is a learned, a learned, thing. A learned thing. Right. That you don't, you see a clown is smiling, it's laughing, it's happy. Why would it be scary? But at night, when you see that clown across the room smiling at you, uh-huh. that is a freaky thing. Case in point: somebody walks up to this window right here, looks at the window, looks at you, just smiling. Creepy as shit. I'm, the hair on the back of my neck just stood up. Yeah. Thank you. Creepy as shit. Yeah. That clown's in a box. I should just get rid of it. <laughs> you should just burn it. Yeah. Is what you should do. Uh, okay. So family's outside dealing with Robbie in this tree. Craig, the Nelson, pulls Robbie out of the tree because the tree's, again, eating Robbie. Tree has a mouth. Yes. Pulls him out. The roots try to grab onto Robbie as the tree's getting sucked away by a tornado. A Wizard of Oz-style tornado is crossing over this house. Pulls the tree out of the ground. They save Robbie. Meanwhile, upstairs, Caroline gets sucked right into that bright light in the closet. So they, the family goes, rushes back in the house, realizes, oh shit, we left Caroline in the house. And apparently with a bunch of strippers because there's glitter all with over the place. With just a ton of strippers, male and female. Smells like vanilla up in that house. <laughs> and coconut. Yeah, <laughs> and coconut. Coconut vanilla. Um, they start searching through the house trying to find Caroline. They can't find her. And Beth had brought up a good point when we were watching this. Is like this, as a child, what scared me is now different than what scares me watching this as an adult Hmm. this movie plays really well on multiple levels like that level of the clown scaring you the tree scaring you like like those kind of childhood like primal scares but there's something about once you like become a parent and watching this movie of shit your kid disappeared yeah i was with this the latter on that the whole way. Yeah. I kind of dismissed the kid fears and was thinking about it through the lens of like a parent. Yeah. Yeah. 
So they're freaking out trying to find Carol Ann. And they think a tornado has rushed over their house. So they get they get to the bedroom. Closets all, like, everything has been sucked into the closet. So they're literally pulling, like, box rings, mattresses away from this closet door. Pulling all the toys out. And yeah, there, there's nothing left in the room. Every, every, yes. everything has been pulled into the closet. That's right. It is a great scene when the when the, everything's being pulled in too. Yeah. That it looks. I think what they did. I didn't look this up, but I think they must have had a room that tilted. Yes, exactly. That gravity was pulling stuff in, but it's yep. a really well done scene. It is for sure. Well, that because they use that same setup later with Diane. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good. It's a good practical effect. Absolutely. Really, really well done. And I think this particular scene also really well done because they pull everything out of the closet. And then there's just this shape of what looks like somebody under a blanket mm. back against the back closet wall. Yeah, that's right. And there's this point where like they see it and like you can see like the actors are so good in this fucking movie. Like you see like their hearts just drop like, oh shit. Diane goes, yanks a blanket back and it's the fucking clown. And then they're like, there's this like little laugh of like, oh, thank God it's not that. But then there's like the sudden realization of like, well, shit, if she's not there, where the fuck is she? And like the teenage daughter suddenly like kind of snaps alive. She's like, I'll go look down in the kitchen. And they all kind of split up and go start looking for Carol Ann. Can't find her. I like that, that Craig Tronosaurus Nelson is like, no, you you stay here. I, I will go to the kitchen. That's right. The kitchen is like the hot spot. That's right. And they decided not to tell her about it because she would freak out about it. Um. Well, and there's the whole thing too. It's like they once she's not there, somebody goes to the swimming pool, and he's like, "Oh no no no!" And they run outside, and he's like diving into the swimming pool trying to find her. Right. The muddy yeah and the, yeah the swimming pool at this point is just a dug out trench a muddy trench and then like <laughs> like four feet of just muddy water at the bottom of it muddy trench that's right again my nickname in college but then robbie starts freaking out inside the house so he's sitting in front of just static on a tv and he hears carol ann's voice so he starts screaming mom comes in is trying to calm him down. And but, she's looking around the room like, Carol Ann? Carol yeah, Ann? she like, hears the voice you? and she, yeah, she's trying to find her. And then he starts freaking out more. Like, there's a great scene of like the silhouettes of their faces, like having this, like, kind of, like, he's freaking out. She's trying to calm him down. It's just their silhouettes in front of the snow of the TV. And then we hear Carol Ann's voice and they both suddenly, like, realize that's where it's coming from. And the silhouettes of their face just kind of turn towards the TV and they realize that's where she's at. She's in the fucking TV. Then we cut to Ghostbusters. So Craig Tyrannosaurus Nelson goes to the local college, I guess, to to call in the Ghostbusters. To find, yeah, ghost investigators. He doesn't call the authorities. His, nope. his child is disappeared. Has disappeared. No authorities called. That's right. Other than the ghost authorities, I guess. Well, and I don't... So at this point, ghost busting wasn't a thing. Even though 
Busting made me feel good. <laughs> he goes to the parapsychology <laughs> department you. of the local college, finds these three these three characters. Uh, so we have this kind of older woman, and by older I mean forties, fifties, maybe. Uh, African American gentleman and then dude with glasses who I'm fairly convinced is high all the time convinces them to come to the house uh, he kind of spills some tea on the family mentions that uh, Diane the wife 32 their oldest daughter 16 uh, she's been spending most of the time not in the house at this point like where she can go uh, and their daughter has disappeared. Carol Ann, the five, four-year-old. Uh, so they come to the house to investigate. And I think there's a great scene of, at this point, Craig T. Nelson, like how he appears in the movie, like he looks like a dude who's been drinking for 10 days straight. Yeah, he... Has not slept. He turns... There, he goes from cocky, you know, confident Han Solo to I disheveled. I don't know what's going on in my life. Yeah. I've been everything is upside down. Right yeah, now. he but he turns quick. It's yeah. a turning point. He yeah. doesn't. He doesn't come back from this. No, maybe in the end he slightly does. A but bit. He, he doesn't quite return to his uh, Olympic diving glory. Well, because he believed in this American dream, right? And it turned upside down for him. I'm with him. He believed in it. He sold it to other people. That was his job. So there, this scene of like the paranormal investigators are talking about like these investigations they've done in the past. And like this guy starts talking about how they'd filmed this event somewhere else where this toy had moved across the floor of this room. And it was it wasn't perceivable by the human eye. It was only through time lapse and through seven hours or something. They saw this toy like cross the floor. Um, and then Craig T. Nelson kind of looks him like, oh, oh, really? Really? That's what you got? Opens up the bedroom door to a just whirlwind of ILM effects of things flying around the kid's bedroom. I love, I love, I, I like that a lot. This like, they're so excited about the fact that they've captured this thing that takes took hours yep. to capture. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I take a look at this. Yeah. And it's all happening right in front of their eyes with like compasses. It's like playing on records. <laughs> yeah. Playing records. Like the Incredible Hulk on a horse. <laughs> it's great. It's great. It shakes them up. <clears throat> the next scene is the kind of older woman like sitting at the kitchen table, like her hands shaking on the, the, the teacup. And they're trying to kind of get to the bottom of what might be going on here. And other like kind of paranormal things start happening while they're having this discussion. Like a coffee pot scoots across the table, like these lights like flash across the ceiling as they're talking. And the family at this point are just like looking at it as like, yeah, that's just that's just the norm now. That's just what happens every day. While these parapsychologists are very taken by what's going on and trying to figure out what's at the base of it. And it's at this point that the 
the female doctor brings up the fact that this may not be a haunting, which tends to be around a location. This might be a poltergeist kind of haunting, which tends to be around a person. Um, this is a real thing, haunting versus poltergeist. Yes, I, from what I understand, yes, that poltergeist. Uh, I'm basing this solely off of horror films. Really. Off of this I, movie, yeah, <laughs> off of what I've seen in Poltergeist. <laughs> so um, totally real. Totally. I mean, it's got to be. It's got a basis somewhere, right? I mean, sure. No, from I mean, from what I understand, like hauntings do tend to be around a location. Which, when you get to the end of this movie, I think this is more haunting than <laughs> than a poltergeist, right? It's based on the location. It literally is. So I think she was wrong. <laughs> um, but they do a nice kind of mix of like trying to give some paranormal explanation of why be, what might be going on. And then they move quickly to... The family brings these scientists into like the living room to kind of show them what's going on. They turn on the TV to a dead channel, uh, to a static channel, uh, to see if they can get Carolyn to kind of talk to them. Um, and again, it's just good. It feels very Spielbergy, like focus on the family, focus on the individual, focus on the people to make this story really hit home for you, like really make it effective to you as a viewer, feel human. Also focus on those sweet speakers. Those speakers, dude. That's those are some, bigger some, than some bathrooms I've had in apartments I've Yeah, in. those are some gems right there. Those are gonna sound great it. today. I hope those are still around. What I will say is like again kind of that blend of like really connecting us with the characters and the supernatural mm-hmm. is there's the scene. So we hear Carol Ann through the TV. The investigators seem like just nonplussed about it. Like they're nonplussed is not the word I'm looking for. They seem like very surprised that this is happening. Uh, but then Carol Ann comes across something that freaks her out. She starts yelling and there's a scene of, they're like following the sound. Like they're following the sound through the house. And there's this weird kind of windy staircase that they have in this house. And their bedrooms are upstairs. And there's a scene, Diane, the mom, like walks up to the staircase. And then like this, something comes rushing down the staircase at her. And she says it was Carol Ann. She moved through her. It's like this very emotional scene of... And my hands are off to Joe Beth Williams as an actress. Like she handles this really well. And it's, it really affects me emotionally of like, she moved through you can smell her on my clothes. Smell. This is my, this is her. It's my daughter. And then it quickly turns dark. Like then something really bad comes rushing down those stairs and like knocks everybody over. Like this wind blows through the house and knocks all the characters down on the floor. Uh, teenage daughter freaks out. She gets out. She leaves. There's a scene of like something, some door opens up in the ceiling of that living room and stuff starts falling out. Like, like jewelry. Trinkets. Yeah, exactly. Watches yeah. fall out of the ceiling. Exactly. 
<clears throat> and I think the sole reason for that is to introduce this idea that this is how you could exit out of this other kind of plane of dimension, right? Because th- this has nothing to do with the rest of the story whatsoever. The fact that this jewelry and shit falls out of this hole in the ceiling. But uh, so that night they're coming down, they're taping everything. They've got video cameras rolling. Uh, there's a discussion of the, the female doctor is kind of talking to Joe Beth Williams. They have this kind of nice interaction. Robbie is awake talking about from this kid's perspective of like how the afterlife works, like how souls work. Like he watched his grandfather pass away, but he didn't see the soul come up and, you know, like he's got, there's these bullies at school that treat him badly. Is like, are they up in that room? Is that what's, what's making this happen? But then he mentions something too that's really interesting because it comes into play later. He's like, if I were to die, he says, you could tie a rope around my ghost and I could go find Carol Ann and you could pull me back, which mm. is exactly what they end up doing. Could you under you obviously understood what they were saying in this scene? I've seen this movie. A I lot. could not. The between the acting and the sound mix together, I it was bizarre. They're they're going from whispering to speaking softly. Yeah, and I could, I just couldn't get this volume dialed in to the point where I could actually understand what they were saying. Yeah, that's essential what they're talking about. Thank you. Yeah, I you're welcome. That. So Robbie goes to sleep, uh, and this is where the Marty, the other investigator, kind of comes into play. So, and this, uh, this is where my question comes up: Is Marty fucking high? Why? Why because do you say he says, "Hey, I'm going to go to the kitchen and grab something to eat." <laughs> He's plowing through a bag of Cheetos already. Okay, goes to the kitchen. I mean, hey, I get it. I I love eating. I love Great it. product placement on those Cheetos, too. For sure. It's like held up a, like a perfect bag of yeah. Cheetos to the camera. Center screen right there. Shooking out like no one has ever eaten Cheetos. <laughs> and no one's ever taken a bag of chips and held it on the bottom corner and shooken it out into their hand. Perfectly straight. Where it's perfectly flat. Uh-huh. Never, it's never happened. No. Uh, only on the screen. And then he goes into the kitchen and grabs like a raw steak. Before that. Grabs a box of Ritz crackers. Oh, right. Sorry. Grabs a handful of Ritz crackers. Sorry. Gets into the refrigerator. Not his house, by the way. Refrigerator. Grabs a cold chicken wing. Yeah. Grabs a drumstick. Drumstick. Puts that in his mouth and grabs a whole steak. Like he's going to cook a steak? He's going to cook a steak. He's going to grill a steak? He's not. There's no grill. He's inside. He's going to fry a steak. He's going to fry a steak. Also, this looks like a really expensive steak. Is he high? This is, Yes. Answer yes. So this is a twenty dollar steak. It's a big steak. If that, if if not more. Yeah, these are not rich people. This is like a celebration, you know. Once this is a holiday steak. <laughs> this is we pulled our daughter out of the television. Let's yeah. have a steak. This isn't an everyday steak. That's right. It's not a Tuesday night steak. I don't think I've ever bought a steak as nice as the steak looked. To be honest with you, it's a big steak. So he puts the steak, pulls it out of the, the just plastic. Just throws it on the counter? Puts it right on the counter. Not on, not on a plate. Nah, just puts it on the counter. Just... <laughs> he's going to go uh, you know, find what he's going to cook the steak in, which is a frying pan. But 
Yeah, just puts it on the counter. As Kitchen Dark does not turn lights on, I guess not to wake up anybody in the other room, he's got a flashlight, hears something, turns, looks at the steak. Steak is crawling across the counter. I, I'm like, I'm calling out this scene, and it probably sounds like I, I have questions about the scene. I love this scene. Like, this is a scene that connected with me as a kid. Like, this is what got hmm. to me, this entire, like, buildup in this scene. Or you're hungry, one of the one of the. Or scenes. I'm super hungry and want some Ritz crackers. Or pizza. And a steak. Um, the steak is crawling across the tile counter. Stops. He flashes his light at it, and then it's like it starts turning itself inside out. Like, it bursts open, and then, like, just meat comes, like, pouring out of it. Amazed at that, he drops the drumstick that's in his mouth, opens his mouth aghast, drops on the floor, looks down. There's maggots all over the drumstick. He freaks out, runs to like a laundry room off the kitchen. Just disturbing, for sure. By the way, absolutely. But no maggots in his mouth. I don't. I don't think you really see that. You don't see maggots in his mouth. But you make the leap that yeah. what had just come directly out of his mouth is now covered with maggots. Ugh. Runs into the laundry room, starts kind of gagging, throwing up into the kind of sink. Turns on the water, looks in the mirror, and then the light does this shift. Like from normal light to like this kind of reddish light. And he looks at himself in the mirror and sees like this like cut on his face. He like kind of starts focusing on that and like kind of picking at it with his fingers. And then that kind of picking at it then turns into like really kind of pulling at it and like pulling chunks of flesh off of his face. And that just continues until he's literally peeling his face off of his skull. Which would not happen. Come on. Like just chunks of bloody flesh falling into this like laundry room sink. Like, we literally see Skull as he's pulling chunks of flesh off of his face. And then, it like, the light, like, flashes, like, like, light flashes back to normal. And then, he like, his, he's totally fine. It's like this hallucination that got pushed onto him. This whole scene just kind of made me want a shop sink. Like, that, I like <laughs> That's that. all you got out of it. <laughs> no, I mean, the scene was disturbing. But then, at the end of the day, I would love to have a shop room and shop sink off of the kitchen sure just like you know how maybe room. like develop film in there sure whatever whatever you want to do yeah yeah cook a whole turkey um it reminds me still does it makes me it it reminds me of the end of raiders of the lost ark with like the melting faces and a lot of this movie has kind of like raiders of the lost ark vibes to me particularly like when we get to the end with the skeletons um, he bounces back from that pretty well goes back out to the living room just in time to find yeah he's okay with this he's like well that that happened I'm gonna go back out to the living room maybe well, there's Cheetos in the back <laughs> to be fair <laughs> to be fair he's probably looking for more Cheetos <laughs> he's probably about to go out there and, and go holy shit you guys you won't believe what happened to me but literally, as soon as he walks into the living room, he looks up the stairs and sees some shit going down. And meanwhile, the camera, the auto-triggered, that's move, right, the motion-censored, <laughs> motion-triggered camera has come into play. Auto-focusing. 
and yeah. it's been moving and then filter panning up to cap capture what's coming down the stairs. That's right. This is this is some high eighties technology. Here. I'm I'm impressed. I'm surprised. I didn't know this was a thing. Did not know that either. What it's seeing and what we all eventually see is all these kind of orbs of light appear to be coming out of the bedroom, coming down the stairs. And then this kind of bigger, wispier kind of form also kind of coming down the stairs. It all kinds of wraps up, like wind comes through, lights all go disappear. They do a playback on the video to see if they got it. They certainly got it. And as they're looking through it, like in slow motion, and they're looking at the orbs that they saw coming down the stairs, like you see like faces above the orbs. Like bunches, like a, like a like a handful of people. Yeah, like all look at them all, all these lost look at souls. All of them. Yeah, uh, they're all eating Cheetos and steak. What about those Ritz crackers? Yeah, they've they've got now video proof that some shit's going down here. The doctors are gonna go off. They're gonna get some more backup. I don't know what their deal is. They're gonna go back to the college, download this video because it's all a VHS. Terrible quality. Um, Looks so good, though. Marty, the stoner who tore his own face off, he's not coming back. But they're going to bring in a clairvoyant, a somebody who's familiar with the supernatural. Wait, did, did Robbie take off in a cab alone? Yep. Yes. So Why? Because to, for him to be safe. So they just, we don't know where he goes. No, they mentioned it. He's going to go to uh, Diane's parents' house. He's going to go visit his grandparents. Okay, I missed that. Yeah. All, all I saw was like. That nine-year-old got into a cab yeah. and just like later dicks his way out <laughs> exactly. of Exactly. With the dog. Nine-year-old hails a cab, holds the door for the dog, and then is like, see you guys, yeah. I'm out. Hey, man, it's been fun. It's been real, been fun, ain't been real fun. Later dicks. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's going to his grandparents. Okay, I, yeah. missed, I must have missed that. Uh, teenage, uh, teenage daughter also taking off, spending time outside the house. So it's now just uh, Diane and Steven. And now with Tangina, the clairvoyant that they bring in. Uh, what were your thoughts on Tangina? I mean, I've seen her in kind of memes i guess and doing like this same kind of character yeah i think i've kind of grown up with her even though i've never seen the movie so it wasn't a surprise that she showed up because this is her role right right yep she's also fantastic she's great (laughs) yeah uh just played it to the hilt uh, I love this scene. So yeah, she's like a, I don't know that she's officially like a little person, but she's very short, super short, very Southern. Um, she's like kind of walking around the house and she asks something like she goes up the stairs. Everybody else is downstairs. It's this very kind of good action happening in the foreground stuff happening in the background. She asks a question and Craig Tyrannosaurus Nelson kind of closes his eyes and somebody's like, Stephen, answer. He's like, I am. I'm answering her with my mind. Um, and he says something about, you know, it's like, if, and she asks again, and he answers back up, and he looks at the doctor, and he's like, if she's this great clairvoyant, then 
you know, how is she, how does she not understand this? And then she being far out of earshot says, I heard you. I just don't like trick questions. <laughs> it's so good. It's great. So yeah, she like has this kind of sit down with the family and kind of goes over like we've had the paranormal explained by the scientists and now we're going to have the situation explained by somebody who's versed in the paranormal. So her take on this is uh, this house one has many hearts, um, but that what's going on here is there's all these kind of lost souls, like trying to find their way to, to the light. They're trying to find their way to whatever the next step is, but they're trapped here in this spot. But they're attracted to this bright, shining spot, which is Carol Ann, which is this child. So they've pulled her there, and they're all attracted to her, but there's this thing. There's the this beast that is using her. Carol Ann sees the beast as just another child, but it's using her to deflect all of these other kind of spirits that are for some reason trapped in this realm and can't move on. And it's going to use Carol Ann and it's going to use her family against her to get what it wants. So they take this idea that Robbie had, what they're going to do is they find where, Carol Ann left this realm, which is through that closet. And they're going to map out where the other exit is, which is where all these trinkets had fallen from the ceiling. And this idea being that they're going to, Tangina, the the clairvoyant, is going to go through this door into this other world, get Carol Ann, take her back, bring her back into this world. So they have this whole thing of like testing this out. They've got these uh, these tennis balls that have numbers on them and writing on them. They throw it through, comes down through the the living room ceiling. They've tested it all out. They throw a rope in there. It comes down to um, Tangina's going to go through, and then Diane says Caroline's not going to. She doesn't know you. She's not going to come to you. She'll only come to me. And Tangina says, you've never done this before. To which Diane says, neither have you. To which she says, you're right. You go. <laughs> That's great. It's, it's a great, fantastic. It's a great scene. It's great. So they it tie. Se- it seems almost sort of ad ad libbed. It feels she's like. Yes. You, yeah. Wait, you haven't either. Yeah, you're right. You go. <laughs> yeah. But it also feels super Spielbergy. Like this feels like a line that would have been at home in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. We don't know what's going to happen. Joe Beth Williams is about to go into the great hereafter. We don't know what's going to happen. They're possibly seeing each other for the last time. They have this nice little. And I like these guys as a couple. I like these guys. Yeah, they're good. Even if they were forced into being married because they got pregnant. They work well together. They do. They seem like they love each other. Yeah. And they seem fun, too. They I mean, do. I mean, it could just be the pot talking. <laughs> they, they could s- be. They seem... They, I mean, they seem like good people. They seem fun. They got Cheetos in the house. 
So she goes in, and almost as soon as she goes in, then Tangina the clairvoyant like almost like starts. It's almost like she's possessed. Like she kind of backs away from the thing and she says, all are welcome, all are welcome, come into the light. And like Stephen kind of goes like, wait, no, what the fuck are you talking about? You said not to go into the light, what are you doing? Like realizes something's wrong and starts pulling on the rope to bring Diane back, which then apparently angers the beast on the other side, which comes like this skull shape comes flying out of the closet. Freaks him out. He drops the rope, which he promised her he wouldn't do. But on the other side, uh, older woman doctor, other videographer, Billy D. Williams guy, they're on the other side with the other side of the rope. Start pulling it down. And then Diane... Carol Ann, like they fall, it's like it's it's a rebirth, right? They like fall through this hole, through this like placenta, to the fact that like they're covered with like this pink mm. jelly as they come out from the other side. Yeah, I've been meaning to ask you about this because we haven't. It's come up. We we skipped over the couple times it's come up. So when they test the tennis balls and they test yep. the rope, that's covered in this like pink goo. Yeah. And then later, spoiler alert, we see this sort of like throat. Yes. This like <laughs> the vagina closet. <laughs> the vagina, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, what is this pink goo? Well, it, I, I assume like if you want to take it from a story perspective, it's like whatever the barrier, the thin barrier between the other side of this world is, it's what the that residual shit that coats you as you come through that barrier interesting this is like what the stranger things underworld is like the dried up version of this where there's that's right there's flakes of it floating around it could use a little more lube i'm just saying (laughs) exactly just saying this i mean to me literally always feels like a like a birth sequence to like they pull them through this they're coated mm-hmm. with this afterbirth pink jelly stuff they get them yeah. into a bathtub thanks for saying afterbirth while i took a drink thanks. you're welcome they get carol ann diane into this bathtub like it's a like it's a birth right like, like it's the, the birthing tub exactly exactly mm-hmm. um and there's like this tense moment of like they're not reacting like carol ann diane they're not reacting to anything um, it's quickly subsided. They're both fine. They got them out. It's almost as if Caroline remembers nothing about this entire situation. Um, they close the bathroom door so Stephen and his his two ladies there can be alone. Very nice, sweet little moment. We pan over to Tangina, who says this house is clean. Almost as if the movie's over. But it's not because there's a f- many minutes left. That's right. I mean, what were your feelings though when that happened? Because I mean, it, it feels very pointed that it's like, hey, we're gonna let you off the hook. Movie's done. I was kind of wondering what what is this pink goo? Okay. And how gross was it to kiss with the with through the pink goo? Because they they Diane and and Tyrannosaurus Nelson Nelson uh-huh. kiss 
through this goo. That's right. Strawberry jelly, maybe? Yeah. I have to imagine like real world, or I guess movie world. Real world is probably some kind of makeup gel. Uh, I'm going to assume salty. I'm going to assume it tastes salty. Maybe I just, a little tangy. <laughs> I think I, I actually think I looked at the time left on the movie and thought, okay, well, obviously it's not over. What? <laughs> We've still got like another half an hour. Here. Where's it going now? God. It's interesting that it's not like there's 10 minutes left in the movie. How much like, is left? Is it a half hour? I feel it like, probably. I didn't actually take a look, but there's still a good chunk of there's movie a good left. Amount of, yeah, there's a good amount of time left. Um, so, well, we'll get to this later. Keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Well, let's actually touch on something that I think we we missed. What did we, we miss? When the investigators come and before like kind of all the shit goes down. The whole thing about the light? In, the whole thing about the light and the boss comes over to the house. Oh, that light. Yeah. Keep what going. light are you talking about? Well, th- when when the initial oh, investigator yeah, yeah, yeah. comes over, yeah, yeah. there's this whole thing. They, 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 when they contact Carol Ann for the first time, she's like, I see this light. And the investigator's like, don't go into the yeah, light. Tell the her light, not to go into the light. The light is not good. Yep. Not good. Yep. And the mom's like, don't go into the light. Not your friend. Don't even look at the light. Yep. Turn your back to the light. And then in this rope sequence, tennis ball rope sequence, the cl- the cleaner that's what i was calling her i don't yeah. know what her title is yeah yeah um she's like go into the light and they're like you told us not to go into the light it's just, do so we the light was bad yeah what is the light good or bad what do we do and she's like go into the light and then and then they're like oh just kidding don't go into the light yeah cuz i think what is the plan? I was going to add, this was in my final thoughts, but now we've we've ripped the bandaid off. What is it with the light? Is was the plan? Yep. So light attracting is the light the portal to the afterlife. Yes. And so no don't go into the light because if if Caroline goes into the light she dies. Yep. And so was the was the idea then to lure the bad thing towards the light and have Caroline duck back at the last second and not go into the light but then it would suck everything else in like a like a ghostbusters ghost trap. Sure, sure, sure. And then, I, and then she would get pulled back with the rope. I think based off of how it's being played in the movie, so when Tangina, the cleaner, starts then saying, you know, go into the light, it almost feels like she's being overtaken by something. Oh, I didn't think about that. And that's why then like kind of Steven turns and goes, wait, you said not to go into the light. And that's why then he starts making the move to like pull Diane back. Because he can't trust what's happening with her at that point. Interesting. That's how I've always taken it. But I don't necessarily disagree with where you went with it. Yeah, I was going with the like, they were, it was like a double fake out on the bad, on the beast. Possibly. Double cross. But there's something that feels so like, how they film her when she's saying that and kind of like backing up against the wall, it almost feels like she doesn't know what she's saying. Like she's being, yeah, she's like, go into sight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, well, I guess we'll never know. 
the other thing we missed is the is boss coming to visit Steven. So Steven's been missing a lot of work because Caroline's been missing. And he's called out sick. He's called out sick. Like the flu. Yeah. Uh, apparently they didn't have leave of absences back then. So boss takes him on a walk up uh, up the hill to That's right. where they're going to build the new development. And he's kind of trying to entice Steven. Like he's, he's trying to keep Steven. He mentions that Steven's like the best salesman they've got. He's responsible for something like 75% of the sales that have happened in this Cuesta Verde estates like this this suburban yeah. trap and he's like or, what he's he speculates that steven has maybe l- flirting with other companies he's like right you're not trying to leave us are you right like, i want to try to retain you he's trying to keep him so they get up to this hillside and he mentions like kind of flirtatiously he's like wouldn't this be a great space for like a bay window and a master bedroom um he says, well, yeah, I mean, it's great if you're up here on this hill, but if you're down in the valley where we are, then you're just looking at houses being cut in the hill. He's like, well, there's no reason you couldn't be here. This is where we're going to do phase five of Cuesta Verde. And it seems like, well, it's a very generous offer. Like that very just kind of, I, I don't, I don't want to just put it like in the 80s, but like Steven feels like very stuck in this. He's not a 60s kid anymore. He's he's about the money and the prestige and the house on the hill. And like I think he feels that pull. He's like, it's a very generous offer. And then turns around and looks. He's like, not much room for a pool, is there? And they're looking at this like it's a beautiful map painting of this immense graveyard that's sitting up on the hill that they're standing at. Um, to which the boss says, we'll do, we're going to move the graveyard. Don't you worry about it. It's like, we'll, we'll move everything. And Steven, like, it starts to like click for him. It's like, oh shit. He's like, what do you, you're going to move? It's like, we did the same thing down there in the valley, down in Quest of Verity. We did the same thing. It's he's, and Steven's like, well, I never knew about it. He's like, well, why would we tell you about it? We're not going to advertise that sort of thing. It's so what? So people have to go twenty more minutes down the street to go visit their dead relatives. So it becomes a thing in his mind of like, that's why this is happening. The house was built over what used to be a cemetery. So, come back to where we're in the story. Everything. For all intents and purposes, it should be fine. They got Carol Ann back. Uh, the only real kind of negative piece here, if that's even negative, is Diane now has gray streaks in her hair like the Bride of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. But it's a good look. I don't think that's even a negative. I think it works for her. Isn't, yeah, it's absolutely not a negative. She's a little young, perhaps, for the gray streaks. But all right. I don't know how, how old she is. So, 32. Oh yeah, whatever. I I think it's a good look. Also, I dig I dig some gray streaks. So there you go. I'm with you. There you go. Uh, but they're moving. They're getting out of there. They're hightailing their way out of there. Moving trucks are there. Everything's going. The plan is they're there for the rest of that day. Steven's got to go to work. You know, cut some cut some losses there. They're gonna come back. They're gonna get out of there that night. But Diane, not uh, not so much of a fan of the gray streaks. She gets guilted into dyeing them by her daughter. Is that right? She's, is she trying to dye her hair? <laughs> She's going to dye her. She does dye her hair. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, the teenage daughter says, you know, what's what's up with are you gonna change that and you gonna take care of that? Yeah. She's like, Well, you don't think it's it's kinda punk rock and uh there's also a nice little interchange there of like they're talking about are we really leaving tonight and diane says yeah we're gonna go to the motel six or the holiday Holiday inn that's down off exit whatever and the daughter goes oh yeah i remember that place yeah you get the sense that the daughter has been kind of promiscuous may have been a little like mom back in the 60s yeah who knows like mother like daughter there you go so we're back at the house for this final day that they're going to be there. Uh, Diane's going to wash that gray right out of her hair, uh, gets a bath going, gets some dye. Um, Robbie, Carol Ann, they're back in their room. Um, and they, I guess, like Stephen takes longer than he should be because they're going to lay down and go to sleep while Diane's taking this bath and dyeing her hair. But the when Carol Ann and the boy Robbie Robbie are playing, he Robbie's got the the Han Solo blaster. <laughs> he sure does. Uh, did you have that? I did not. I had. We had two of those. Oh yeah. We had those. Those we had those. Yeah yeah I, yeah. God, I wish we still had them. They were. <laughs> I so, remember the sound that they made. They were I had friends so who had great. Them. Yeah. yeah, you had to push a button and pull the trigger at the same time, yeah. and it would make this like. It, it totally not realistic, right? But you, you could make it sound like you were like cutting wood with like a miter saw, like it was the <laughs> weirdest sound it made. But they were great. Yeah, I loved those Han Solo blasters. What I really wanted from that collection of toys that I saw was like the, like the Hoth playset he had on the window sill. With like oh, the, did he have the Hoth the playset? Turret, yes, I didn't see that. Yeah, that's what I wanted when I was a kid. He, we also, my brother and I were like that. The Hoth playset was like the, the pinnacle, yeah. of the Star Wars playsets. Sure. I Hope think a friend of ours had the Hoth playset, and this was probably a little too late for you. But the um, then GI Joe, yeah, had no GI Joe. So GI Joe, the, we had a bunch of the figures, but they were dime a dozen. The GI Joe aircraft carrier was the absolute best upper echelon the look in your eyes right now as you're talking about it dude (laughs) i still look at this with reverence i'm no joke the gi joe aircraft carrier was like seven feet long yeah like it was it took up like the entire room and it it i don't know what it cost because it was prohibitively expensive eight (laughs) hundred dollars but like one person we knew had that thing and it was a sight to behold and they were rich they i think they either that or in super debt yeah <laughs> that's right a lot of credit card this was like late 80s like yeah. greed is good yes yeah 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 uh let's talk about the scene in the ba- in the bedroom here real quick so they're laid down to go to sleep uh, Robbie sees the clown in the chair. The clown yeah. didn't get packed up. Nope. So the, I guess the plan was to keep the clown there. I guess. He looks up, sees the clown, gets freaked out, uh, goes to throw a like Chewbacca jacket over the top of the sweet jacket, by the by. 
over the cloud, doesn't cover it, falls down. Lays back down in the bed, hears something, looks up at the chair where the clown should be. Clown's not there in the chair. Scene is played really well. Played for tension like you wouldn't believe. Sees the clown isn't there. Look on his face of, oh shit. Goes, looks over the side of the bed. Doesn't see anything. It's bad enough we've got this clown thing going on. Then we're also mixing in this fear of the monster under the bed. Mm -hmm. It's like all this shit just boiling up together. Looks over one side of the bed, sees nothing, comes down to like where the camera is, goes down, like pulls the covers up, looks underneath, nothing there. And again, played beautifully because you don't expect it. At least I know the first time I saw it, I didn't expect it. Puts the covers down, sits up, clowns on the bed with him. Wraps his arm around Robbie's neck with this just horrendous like grimace on the clown face. Robbie starts screaming. Carol Ann starts screaming. Uh, Diane, who'd washed that gray red out of her hair, is was laying on the bed after blow-drying her hair. Uh, and then all of a sudden, like... It's like the ghosts get a little, get a little, get a little rapey. Like her, she's laying on the bed with like a jersey and panties, and yeah. then like the jersey starts they like get, riding up on her. Yeah, rapey to the point where she repeatedly is pushing it down, and I couldn't tell if that was the, if it was the character reacting against the ghosts or if it was the actress reacting against the, the anti gravity film <laughs> film crew. Because she she repeatedly throughout this scene is like pushing, pulling her shirt down to make sure that it doesn't reveal too much. And I I, then I then I like felt bad for the actress. I was like, okay, this you're making her feel uncomfortable here. It felt more to me because it starts out very pointedly, like her on the bed and like the the jersey being like pulled up, Mm -hmm. or like she pulls it back down, and then very much like scenes in the original Nightmare on Elm Street like she starts like going up the walls and across the ceiling Mm -hmm. like you know like totally yeah two but like I think I think probably two maybe three probably two other times on the ceiling she she pulls her shirt back down yeah that it could be it could be actress like pulling the shirt down to avoid the crew from seeing it but it felt to me like she's fighting against the spirits that are dragging her along the wall, along the ceiling, down, distracting her while her kids are being attacked. So Robbie, like for the first time in the entire movie, like grows a pair, starts just tearing the shit out of this clown doll. But meanwhile, the closet door has opened up again, light shining out of it, Carol Ann being drawn back again to the closet. Closet door at some point slams shut and like these like tentacles start like coming out through the cracks in the door. Yeah, there's like stuff growing uh, around the door frame. Yeah. Uh, Diane comes down off the wall, goes to the door and then like this kind of ghostly apparition that's got the MGM lion sound to it uh, growls her away from, (laughs) from the door. 
she runs downstairs, um, or she gets knocked downstairs. I can't remember. She goes to like go run back upstairs and like she gets this like electric shock, which like knocks her like completely through the living room. Uh, she can't get up the stairs is what's coming down. She goes outside and like slips into this, the muddy hole that is the undone swimming pool. Is she, what, is she running outside to get help? I think so, or like to find another way up into the room because she can't get up the stairs. Like she's trying to anything she can to like try to get to. But the just kids. slips, panties and t-shirt That's deep right. into this muddy ass over tea kettle <laughs> right into the the muddy pit that is the swimming pool. Right. So yeah, she winds up and in just this. can't get out. This is this is like a night. This honestly yeah. is a yeah. nightmare for me. Yeah, it's one of those nightmares where you're trying to get somewhere and you just can't. Yeah, with every strength you have, you can't get to the thing you're trying to get to. Yep. Yes. You just keep yes. slipping and slipping. And then what makes it worse? Like she falls into this water, comes up, and then these rotted skeletons come out of the water. So she manages to get out of the water, but she can't get trashed because she's in the mud. She's in this like angled thing of mud. Right. She's trying to get over the lip of the edge of the mud pit. Yes. And she just can't. She keeps slipping and slipping and yes. slipping. Back into this like just muddy pit of water full of dead bodies. You're absolutely right. It's like a night it's like a living nightmare that you're watching. And but not like animated zombies. These are these are literally yep. just skeletons that are popping to the surface yes because the development was built on a on a grave <laughs> that's yard. right where they only that, moved they the just headstones. suddenly started to pop up out of the ground yes now it's like popcorn they all just sort of like come <laughs> that's true. what's what's the the ground heated up enough then the boom pop, they pop, just pop, came pop. out once you pop you can't stop well and it's a fair question too i mean while we're here let's talk about this is like they give the idea that the whole reason like this haunting starts to happen is because these spirits are attracted to carol ann and carol ann was born in this development that's like a conversation that they have right she was born in the house like it was like <laughs> a home right. birth she was born in the house maybe even in that bathtub but like these ghosts that take their time because she's Four yeah. this is taking place and that's the point where the, they choose to like come into the world or maybe that's how they finally figured out to come into this plane of existence i don't know yeah maybe they've been playing playing around for the first four years trying to play with her to figure out like what this is energy but we don't know how what to do what with is it this yet. yeah yeah maybe yeah um but no this whole swimming pool scene is horrifying it i it works like on a just a gut level for me um because i think it does oh, yeah absolutely tie into like nightmares that i've had i i used to have this recurring nightmare you, do you remember that that ford ranger i used to drive yeah so for some reason like the parking like the parking brake didn't work great on it it didn't really hold the car it wasn't it i needed to fix it replace it whatever so i but i would have this recurring nightmare honest to god where i would park on a hill and i would push the brake and it wouldn't stop the car and i would just keep rolling and i would push harder and harder and harder and the car uh-huh. would continue to roll or i would be coming up to a stop in the dream and i would push the press on the brake 
the car would slow down, but it wouldn't stop. And I would press harder and harder uh-huh. and harder and it wouldn't stop and it wouldn't stop. And uh-huh. I keep rolling and I press harder. This was a reoccurring nightmare I had when I, when I had that car. I used to have similar dreams when I was living in San Francisco of I'd be driving my, I was driving a Honda Prelude at the time. And I'd be driving up these steep streets. Oh, God, the steep. That would just keep getting steeper and steeper. I've had those dreams. And I remember, like, at one point, like, where this nightmare capped off for me was, like, the street literally started turning back on itself (laughs) to, like, where I had to reach out of the car, grab the road to hold the car onto the road. Oh, God. Um,. Yeah, which seems ridiculous in talking about it, but, but it's dreams like dreams are it's real. Like man. my heart's beating so fast, just like yeah. thinking about it. I have had sim not to the point where I had to grab onto the road to hold the car on, but I've I I, I the same car. I had dreams where it was like vertical yeah. roads where yeah. I thought I was gonna fall back. Yeah, dreams are weird. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> they really are. And that's that's why like this mud pit scene yep. affected me because yep. this feels like a dream. Absolutely, it does. Yeah. So she's trying to climb out, uh, and she does get a lift up from her neighbors, from uh, Bam, the remote control neighbor, mosquito neighbor. He shows up, pulls her out. Uh, She hears the kids screaming in the room upstairs. Uh, Her neighbors won't help her out. Whatever, fuck them. She runs into the house uh, to go save her kids. There's a really interesting take on that Jaws shot when she yeah. gets upstairs and the hallway just stretches. Yeah, out. interesting to say the least. It is the pinnacle of the Jaws <laughs> shot. Like it goes, right. it goes back. It pulls back to the point where you didn't think the camera could pull back. That that's far. right. It is. It stretches this hallway so far. It's like, it's like you're making taffy. With that's this right. Hallway. But also feels very dreamlike, right? Yes. I mean, like I've had dreams similar to that idea of like needing to get through this space and it just i'm not getting any further but if but then if you go if you then then just detach from the dream and then just look at it logically she she breaks out into a full-on sprint in this hallway like the actress in the scene that they filmed literally ran like 30 yards right to this door right which does not happen in the hall the hallway of the the house because it doesn't it's not that long it's not that long yeah yeah yeah. so really interesting scene absolutely bus into the room and immediately like this kind of anti-gravity thing of like she's pulled off her feet and like hanging by the frame of the door and this is where we see that like vagina closet thing like the closets turn into like this just if it's not supposed to be a vagina, I don't know what it's supposed to be. This just organic hole. <laughs> this pink fleshy hole. In yeah. The wall. With though like this little thin penis thing coming out of it. Yeah. Was that was, I don't know what that is. Is this the the special edition that Spielberg added after the fact? <laughs> That's right. The tentacle. That's right. <laughs> uh it has to be. <laughs> so I mean, no, no way. It was always there. It was, was, it, was there a tentacle in the theatrical release? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's always been there. 
Uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, she grabs both the kids. They have this struggle. She grabs Robbie. Robbie's going to try to grab Carol Ann because that's who the other side's trying to get. They're trying to get to Carol Ann. And there's this whole kind of struggle. They're trying to reach each other, but they manage it as a family, grab hold of each other. They pull themselves out of that room, get out. At least Spielberg didn't release a special edition where the, the ghost farted on the cam- on camera. That's right. <laughs> or stepped in, in poop. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good job, Spielberg. Thank you for you're, that. You're one better than your peer. We appreciate that. Uh, at this point, Steven has come back from work. He brought his boss with him. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Uh, lights are flashing all over the house. Shit's going down. He can see that from the outside. Yeah, why Why did his boss show up <laughs> I in don't the know. car? I don't know. Just for this scene? Just to see him off? Yeah. Just so he could have the final scene. That's the only reason. <laughs> why else? Why did he bring his own goddamn car? They're going to take off in that car, right? Yeah. Or did he drive him back? The Was bo- the station wagon actually at the house? Whatever. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand why the boss is here. What, what starts happening is like coffins start busting out of the ground, just start flying up out of the ground, opening up, rotted corpses falling out of the coffins. Um, it was an affecting scene when I was a kid watching this. I think it's still an effective scene. Like these coffins bursting out of the ground and corpses just falling out. And it's very reminiscent to me of Raiders of the Lost Ark, particularly like the Well of Souls scenes of the mummified bodies. Um, and that's when Stephen has a realization, talks to the boss, grabs him, screams in his face, you moved the headstones, but you left the bodies, didn't you? Yeah, they moved the graveyard insofar as they took the headstones, but they left the bodies. You moved the headstones, but you left the bodies, didn't you? It's a great scene. It is. Those bodies coming up out of the basement of the world. <laughs> all right. That, I'll give it to you. But, Work with me here. All right. It's 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 the the evils of this real estate bursting out of the subconscious, right? It's the evils of of suburban America bursting out of the ground to face the American dream, to bring it down. family uh there's a tent scene they can't get the car started or he can't find the keys in his pocket finally gets in to the car gets it started uh right at the time timing is phenomenal uh older teen sister shows up screaming they get her in the car they take off the house then like folds itself up into like this tiny little spot in time and space like the the house gets, collapses yeah it gets pulled into a black hole that's right yeah disappears we see like shit happening all over like the this little cul-de-sac like flames are shooting out of the ground and and and, and fire hydrants are shooting up but no houses are pulled into a black hole except for this one the only thing that i could think <laughs> of during the scene was man the the 
Han Solo blaster got pulled into that black hole and like all the other things that they hadn't packed yet because they had, right. they had packed and loaded a moving truck with most of their with stuff almost everything but then there was then they go back into the house and there's still like a handful of things left in the house that's right like Robbie's got to sleep with that Han Solo blaster yeah that, like that's what he had decided to keep out and the the clown apparently well yeah I guess that clown was not going to the next house that was that was a deal breaker. That was being left there with the house. But there's a bunch of stuff in the house that they didn't pack. That yet. clown was sitting on a chair. They were just gonna leave that chair. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 But now, now it's all nope. all on the other side, I guess. Uh, they drive to that uh, that Holiday Inn. Um, I would have loved if the sign said that Murph and the Magic Tones were playing there. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, did not. It does say something about Dr. Fantasy, which is the nickname of Frank Marshall, who's one of the producers on the film. Uh, family looking bedraggled, looking worn out. They're checking into a room in this Holiday Inn. Uh, camera kind of follows them. They walk into the room. We sit there for a second. Then the door opens again. Craig Tyrannosaurus Nelson pushes the TV out onto... It's a nice touch. The hallway before then closing the door and the movie ends. Poltergeist. That's it. That's it. We did it. Buddy, what are your thoughts? Uh, first and foremost, I need that C-3PO light switch they had in the <laughs> Right? That, that light switch. That light plate? Yeah, yeah. Was yeah, the light plate epic. How do you... I, I need to Google that. I didn't even know that was a thing. I want that for my room sure not even for my son's room i want that yeah yeah he wouldn't even appreciate it fuck him fuck that kid i want want that that's right um we talked about um going into the light that was one of my big questions with this movie was like what is why go against and then two and then against the light yeah um i think we figured that out or we have questions about it i don't know I think it depends on how you're looking at it. At the end of the day, this this was everything I've ever wanted in a horror movie and yeah. more. How so? I love the Spielbergian aspect of this film. Yeah. And I know we talked about this before. It's so Spielberg. Yeah. This I and it's this like intangible it's this he, there's this whimsical quality about this film that in the non-horror moments feel so delightful and spiel spielbergian yeah that just scratch an itch that i didn't know i had yeah it's such it's such a good movie yeah i loved every second of this of this film uh yeah it makes me wish he would have spent some more time in this genre playing around with it uh, i'm with i'm with again you. i'm with he, you did not direct this movie. This was a Toby Hooper directed movie, but I would have liked to have seen Spielberg play more in, in this particular playground. I hundred percent with you. I I was in every second of this movie. Yeah. What about you? Agreed. Even having watched watched this movie so many times, still every time I pick it up, I'm taken by how how great the performances are in this movie. Yeah, they're good. Um. And like really, I try not to look at this like with a critical eye when I watch it. I try to just let it wash over me. But 
in watching it to take notes for this and like really trying to look at it critically, it's still just so phenomenal how well every part is played in this movie. Even the kids, they do a great job in this, but and what makes me lean towards more of Spielberg having a heavier hand in this than just being a producer, it's that focus on those little moments between people that horror movies don't tend to give you. They don't tend to give you those moments of just like really being able to take in these people as real people, mm-hmm. um, which means a lot, which I think also then makes the horror more... It, it it's almost like <laughs> like these human moments of spending time with this family like opens you up emotionally so like you're there you're wide open so like when the horror comes in it hits you even harder because you're just you're there yeah emotionally right. open to it and then it's just like fuck you here we go we're going to punch you right in the heart mhm mm-hmm. uh, i think as i said when we're talking through it like as a kid like the the graphic stuff worked for me, scared me. The corpses, the guy tearing his face apart, yeah. that shit worked for me as a kid. It still works for me as an adult, but what makes it more of an effective movie for me now as an adult is that family dynamic. And it is that idea of, as a parent, how do you deal with this? Not only your kid has disappeared, but like under paranormal circumstances, what the fuck do you do with that? Ghostbusters. You call it Ghostbusters. Because Buster makes me feel good. <laughs> Did anything not work for you? Uh, I'm not really. I don't. I don't have. I don't really have any criticism for this movie. I mean, granted, I'm watching it in 2021. Yeah, is that right? That is right. Uh. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I give the special effects aside. Like, it's like, yeah, that was a late 80s special effects. Yeah. Other than other than that, no, nothing. Everything worked. Yeah. There's, there were, I didn't, I was in this thing beat for beat. Yeah. Uh, did you take a look at what the critics saw in this movie? I sure did. And not unlike... Every other movie we've we've watched recently, yeah. the critics are split. Okay. Um, overall, it's, I think it's it sounds like this is widely received as a classic in the genre. Um, I think at this point, yes. Which I would probably tend to agree with, not have not knowing a lot about it, but yeah, Rotten Tomatoes, eighty five percent, based uh, from reviews from sixty one critics. Um, consensus says smartly filmed, tightly scripted, most importantly, consistently frightening. Poltergeist is a modern horror classic. Great. Thanks, Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Roger Ebert gave it uh, three out of four stars, saying it's an effective okay. thriller. Uh, not so much because of the special effects. Uh, maybe some something to read into there. Um, as because Hooper and Spielberg have tied to... Uh, tried to see the movie's strange events through the eyes of family members instead of just standing back and letting the special effects overwhelm the the cast along with the audiences. That's fair. Yeah. 
Um, some of the negative critics. Um, so Gene Siskel's counterpart, <laughs> G, uh, sorry, Roger, Roger Ebert's, sorry, yeah. Roger Ebert's counterpart, Gene Siskel, gave the film one out of, uh, really? sorry, one and a half out of four. I don't know what the difference between one and one and a half is, but one and a half out of four, um, saying it was very good, um, getting the details of suburban life right. In other words, it sets the stage beautifully, but when it comes to the terror, uh, the whole thing is very, very silly. Huh. Now I get, I get what Gene. So, so Siskel picked up on what you threw down about family life. Absolutely, Ebert. No, Siskel said that. Gene Siskel, one and a half out of four. Okay. Do you? Do you think that the horror was silly? Like I, the thing coming out of the TV and burning the wall was uh, like a little okay, this is not this this is something else. This is sort of cartoony. But was that effects cartoony? Cuz the effects felt a little cartoony there. The effects were cartoony. Yeah. But the horror, I didn't think the horror was. No, I don't the, think so either. I mean, we're dealing with like how we're introduced to it before like we get the full kind of adult parental horror to it. It's affecting the kids first, right? So like we're seeing that through the eyes of the children and that like our first like real kind of first scary moment is that tree. It's Robbie's fear of this tree. Um, is it kind of crazy that a tree reaches through a window and grabs a kid? Yeah, for sure. But it's also it also kind of connects with that like kind of childhood fear of like the irrational. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't explain why you're afraid of something. You just are afraid of it. Like you can't logically think through it. It's just an emotional like survival level thing that you're dealing with. Yeah. And then the fact that Carol Ann then left completely alone, then being pulled into like this this closet where we didn't really talk about this either. When she's when they're kind of family life, everything's calm, dad's putting the kids to bed, she needs a closet light on because she's afraid of the dark. Right. So like that's a source of fear for her. So it might be silly in that we're looking at what starts out as like very kind of childhood childish fears, but that's how we're being pulled into this. It's like it's going to hit us on that weird kind of childish emotional level. Like we need to understand, we need to be able to connect with these kind of base fears. And that's how horror movies are supposed to work on you. You have to be able to connect with these very kind of primal base fears. And this particular movie is dealing with suburban life, right? This is not teenagers out in the woods being stalked by a serial killer. This is something paranormal happening in everyday life, like a life that most of us have grown up in, at least, you know, me as like a white suburban kid. This made total sense to me, this world that they're coming in. Yep. So if you're going to introduce a this idea of supernatural horror to it, it's got to be something that connects to me on a very kind of basic gut child level 
of that's how I need to be introduced into it. That's what's going to connect to me before then I can then really take this on on a bigger level and understand the other levels of horror here. Like once you start bringing the adults into it, then it gets really kind of terrifying if you allow yourself into this child level first. If you want to look at it as ridiculous from the beginning, that's going to be ridiculous in the entire movie. So you may. So you're saying you disagree with Gene Siskel? Absolutely. Gene Siskel hated horror movies. The horror movie, the horror aspects of this were not silly. No, they were grounded in reality, and you understood them exactly. I'm 100 percent with you. Beautiful, Nikki. If you're going to write this, maybe what would you write it? This. Might be a rare, a, in rarefied error. I'm going to give this a five. Yeah. I loved every second yeah. of this Spielbergian horror movie. <laughs> Directed by Toby Hooper. Directed by somebody else, but so Spielberg. Yeah. I loved it. This is everything I wanted and more. Yeah. I'm with you. I, this is also a five for me. Like I, I had mentioned before, I watched this movie on the regular. Um, uh shit. Poltergeist, we're done. Hey Don, thank you. This was a fantastic choice. Uh it was good to revisit and think good about choice. this. Lots critically. Of fun. Thank you. Yeah, a ton of fun. Uh going forward, Nikki, we're gonna look at another listener recommendation. Oh. oh. Yeah. Our our friend April has also thrown uh a suggestion into the ring here. Uh, for what to watch next. Her suggestion is a little sci-fi horror film from 1963 called Day of the Triffids. Hmm. Have you heard of this movie? Do you know anything about this? Never heard of it. Okay. I'm going to say nothing about it because I want you to go in completely cold. I would this love movie. that. I love going in cold. You Let's know that. do that. I know you do. I know you do. Okay. So we'll come back couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Day of the Triffids, 1963, directed by Steve Seekley. I'm going to assume how you pronounce his name, but I don't know. Uh, 63, sci-fi horror film. All right. Meantime, social media case. Guys, you've heard this before. We're in all the places. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Uh, hey, if you want to send us an email like our friends Don, like our friends April, uh, suggest something for us to watch. We're at horrorcurious at gmail.com. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? I don't have anything. You think we're good? I think we're good. Well, shit. Let's come back in two weeks and we'll talk about Day of the Triffids. In the meantime, this has been Horror Curious. I am Bill Badgley. I am Nick Kaiser. And don't you go digging a mud pit in your backyard <laughs> only to find out that it was built on a gravesite. Please don't. They're everywhere. I think I they're guess. in all 50 states. Maybe, well, maybe not in Hawaii. I don't know. Maybe they are. They probably swim over. <laughs> Take a boat. Uh, they know how to sail. 49 states. Those guys, yeah. I guarantee there's there's coyotes in 49 states. You think so? They're bigger in Texas, though. The, the coyotes are... They're like full of dire wolves. And, and they pack guns, too. That's, that's right. <laughs> they wear hats. That's weird. That's just weird. Unnecessary. Who's making the hats? <laughs>